Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning, Wrestling Inc. It's me, your managing editor, Nick Hausman, back with a brand new Thursday edition of The Winkly, and we got a loaded show here for you today. I'm not even going to spend any time getting any other breaking news that broke this morning. Didn't really break anything this morning. There was a brand new ROH Global Wars uh, show last night. You go get that on the front page of WrestlingInc.com. But today's show, uh, later in the show, of course, we're going to have Jesse Collins back uh, with his latest views from the Turnbuckle Audio Edition. We're going to be talking a little Kota Abushi to close the show. But man, tons of interviews today. Later in the show, we're going to have an interview uh, that our own Andy Malnoski uh, was uh, responsible for featuring Lance and Oahi. Uh, related to uh, the cousin of Roman Reigns. Uh, we also have ROH six-man tag team champion Vinny Marcellia is going to be on the show. Uh, we're also going to have Trump mania author Lavi Margolin. And I'm sorry, Lavi Margolin, not a hard A, a soft A. Uh, and uh, we're also going to have MLW's Brian Pillman Jr. Uh, joining me throughout the show today, talking the news, talking the PWI Women's 100 is going to be None other than Pro Wrestling Illustrated senior writer Dan Murphy. And uh, to kick the show off today, we got something special. Next week, I am going to be airing a full 25-plus minute interview with one of the greatest guitarists on the planet, the woman who opened up Evolution, the woman who welcomed Shinsuke Nakamura to the ring at WrestleMania. It is Nita Strauss. We're going to be playing the full interview for you next week. But to get the show going today, before I go over here to Dan Murphy to talk about the Women's 100 from PW Insider, we're going to play a clip for you right now of that interview. And in this clip, Nita talks a little bit about how she uh, got ready for Evolution the day of. Uh, every wrestler will tell you uh, the opening match of a card is just as important as the last match on a card. Uh, very important spot you were given there. Uh, describe to me the, the tone you wanted to set with your performance there to start Evolution. We just wanted to, you know, Lizzie and I talked about it, and we talked about it with Triple H and Stephanie, and they just said, look, we want you to get the crowd hyped up. Like, we want you to start this event off strong and just get them going from the get-go to, like, let them know it's going to be rowdy, it's going to be high energy, it's going to be loud. And uh, and that's what we did. You know, Lizzie and I went in there with the intention of, of warming the crowd up for the matches, and I think we got there. Uh, now, Vince McMahon, I hear, was there. I know he's very hands-on with everything. Did you get a chance to work with Vince at all on what you were doing there to open the show? Uh, not at Evolution. Uh, I did at Mania. Uh, uh, Mr. McMahon get, you know, came down and, and gave me some notes and some performance ideas when we were rehearsing for Mania. But at Evolution, it was all Triple H and Stephanie. It was uh, just the two of them. And, and Triple H had a lot of input. You know, he had a lot of suggestions and ideas and blocking ideas. And, hey, when you do this, why don't you go here? When you do this, you know, come up to the ropes. Or, you know, when you do this, it's going to look great on camera. So that was really helpful because, you know, I have never even stepped foot in a wrestling ring before. <laughs> and to do it for the first time there, you know, with a the guitar in my hands, opening up this incredibly important show, 
it was uh, amazing to have his input on how it would look best and how it would read best on camera and what have you. It is senior writer for Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Dan Murphy. Dan, welcome to the Winkley. I'm glad to be here. That's a heck of an introduction. I hope I'm not grabbing anyone's ire by appearing here, but uh, I'm glad to uh, glad to be here. Well, so thank you very much. You are you are resp- every year. I mean, right? There's got to be like a six month period after the the PWI 500 comes out that you just keep getting tweets. I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I, I'm not on uh, I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, mm. uh, but that's one of the reasons why I kind of avoid Twitter. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I, I certainly see everything. I, I look at Reddit. I look at you know what's being said about the magazines and, and about wrestling in general, and that's all part of the fun of it. You know, whenever you come up with a list as objective as you try to be with the 500 or the women's 100, uh, there's always going to be debate and conversation back and forth. And uh, that's what makes it so so much fun. I mean, that's why we've had the 500 for, well, since 1991. And every year it's our biggest selling issue. And that controversy is part of the reason why. Man. Uh, well, I'm, I'm happy to have you, Dan. We're going to start off here today. We're going to talk about the female 100 because it is such a big moment for women in wrestling right now. We're going to talk some news later on in the show. Uh, but I got to start off by saying, I, you know, I've always been a big fan of Bill After. Uh, Stu has always been very friendly to me as well. The Pro Wrestling Illustrated team. You guys do great work. Um, you're like an institution now. How does it feel to be a part of something like Pro Wrestling Illustrated? Because I- I'll be honest, I'll be honest with you, Dan. I got featured. My CM Punk trial coverage got featured in Pro Wrestling Illustrated a couple months ago, and my photo got in the magazine. And it's like, it's my most prized possession is that edition of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It means a lot to me to get to grace those pages. I, you you create these memories for wrestlers and wrestling fans on a day to day basis, Dan. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, I grew up reading the magazine myself. I started up freelancing in uh, 97, so I've been there for 22 years or so, you know, starting with some of the kind of uh, introducing features and the uh, some of the, you know, real small stuff, the letters to the editor, things like that I would, I would kind of handle. And now, uh, you know, overseeing the Women's 100. Uh, the 500, we kind of rank as a committee for maybe the top 100 or so. I normally kind of finish the rest and then we take it back as a group and and fine tune it. Uh, But it's really, it's really pretty cool being part of it. Um, You know, PWI, we're coming up on our 40th anniversary. That's uh, an issue that's coming up and working on right now. And um, you know, you're not alone. I mean, I I was, you know, I marked out when I first saw my byline in there, uh, introducing Prince Iakea in 1997. You know, I still have that copy and, mm. and have it in a special place at home. Um, but a lot of the wrestlers are the same way. And, and not just the indie guys who never make it to uh, the Fed or, or don't get a lot of publicity. I mean, they always are, are very happy when they're featured. Uh, but there's a lot of people in WWE who uh, kind of pull me aside and, and really thank me or, or, you know, or I'll say, you know, I really wish you would have used this picture of me instead of this one, but I still love it anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's it's cool having that. It's it's cool. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of print publications out there, especially covering pro wrestling anymore. And it's very cool that PWI is still uh, relevant and still exists. I 100% agree with that. And you guys, you know, like you say, you create controversy. You still set the tone a couple times a year for what people are buzzing about in the world of pro wrestling. Uh, now, it used to be the female 50, right? And it's expanded to the women's 100. Did I get that correct? That is correct. Yeah, the female 50 we did for about 10 years. I think 90, or, uh, 2008 was our first time that we did the female 50. And um, really, uh, about a year ago at this time, after last year's female 50, 
I went to Stu Sachs and said, you know, I really think we ought to try to expand this and see if we can go to 100 because there's that many women out there. Um, when we first started the Female 50, we kind of limited it to uh, really North America. Well, I should say the United States and Canada, uh, not even so much in the Lucho world, uh, because what was happening in Mexico and Japan was very different from what we had in the U.S., which is still kind of the coming out of the bra and panties era and a lot of, you know, uh, uh, Kelly Kelly, that type of thing. Um, women's wrestling was on the upswing, but certainly hadn't evolved to what it is now. Then with things like the Mae Young Classic and the influx of international uh, talent into WWE and onto the national stage uh, and the rise of uh, popularity uh, women's wrestling worldwide, uh, we finally decided last year, okay, we've got to open this up to everybody, Japan, Mexico, Europe. And uh, when you open it up to that many competitors, uh, going to uh, 100 from 50 was, was kind of a no-brainer. Uh, and that being said, in putting together the list, I, I remember sitting down the first day and beginning to kind of scribble down names and just think about who I'd have and who needs to be considered. And uh, within maybe 20, 25 minutes, I came up with about 170 names right off the top of my head that I all thought could have a case of, of making the cut. And uh, that was kind of the starting point. I did some more research, added some more names, whittled the list down, and uh, it took a long time, but uh, I'm very proud of the result. And, and, you know, the fact that there's 100 qualified women and more than 100 qualified women really speaks volumes about the popularity of women's wrestling over the past few years. Yeah, and that was going to be one of my follow-ups here. Um, you know, obviously, writing a, a magazine yeah, every, every day, all day, all year long, you, you, have a, you have a feel for the pulse of what's going on in pro wrestling. And you've been around it for a while now. Have you ever felt the energy around uh, women's wrestling that there's going on right now? You know, it, it's funny that you say that. Um, I co-wrote a book on the history of women's pro wrestling called uh, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle, the complete uh, or the history and rise of women's wrestling with Pat LaProd from Montreal. Uh, that came out in spring of last year. And we had the idea about three years ago um, because it really looked like something big was happening with women's wrestling. You could see it at that point. Uh, Pat and I discussed the concept of a shimmer taping in Chicago. And you see the talent and all of the talent from Bailey to Paige all the way up to um, uh, Ember Moon and several others, Asuka, uh, the talent that was at Shimmer at that time who kind of moved up and made it to WWE. And you really saw that something big was happening. And um, we got in touch with ECW Press and they agreed uh, we did the book, A Complete History, from the 1890s up and stay on women's wrestling. And uh, I was really happy because it came out right at the time that everything seemed to be really hitting the high watermark. Um, you, I really think that a women's match will probably headline next year's WrestleMania, for example. Um, number one in the women's 100 this year, Ronda Rousey, I consider her to be, in my opinion, the top star, male or female, in WWE and therefore in pro wrestling uh, today. Uh, so I think we've really kind of we, – you could see if you're paying attention that this moment was coming, uh, but it's still really exciting to see it finally happen, have women's only pay-per-views, have the women uh, getting the main event spot uh, occasionally. Um, it's a really exciting time. Now, what is your response to the critics that will say, well, Ronda Rousey, she's brand new. She's had less than a dozen matches in WWE. How is she the number one wrestler in the world right now, female wrestler? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that that's controversial, and uh, it is. Um, it was she, the grading period that we look at was from October 1st of 2017 through September 30th. 
of 2018. That's the primary evaluation period. We kind of pay attention to a little what happened before, a little what happened afterwards. Uh, but for the most part, that's what we're really kind of evaluating on. And for that first six months span um, or so, Ronda had never wrestled a match. Uh, she only wrestled, I think, 21 matches total during the evaluation period and only maybe nine or 10 singles matches. Um, however, uh, she won the top title in WWE, the top women's title. She had one of the show-stealing matches at WrestleMania, which uh, a woman has never done before, and no one's been able to beat her. Um, she's just really come out of nowhere. She's had this meteor meteoric rise. Um, the other people, uh, we had Alexa Bliss, number two, and Charlotte, number three, both had really impressive streaks, impressive runs, uh, checkered with some very kind of disappointing losses. Um, Becky Lynch, who everybody has really kind of been uh, really pushing for and has certainly been one of the hottest stars over the past two or three months, really did very little in the first six, seven, eight months of the year. It wasn't until really hell in the cell that she really took off. Uh, so looking at that whole period of time, we really thought that Ronda Rousey, being the fact that she's main eventing, she's she's undefeated, and she's the Raw Women's Champion. She was the best and most deserving person uh, for the honor this year. Yeah, and it's uh, of course Ronda Rousey has commented on it, and very thankful of the award. Uh, have you heard from any of the other women on the list uh, about their placement, their rankings in the uh, 100? I've heard from a few. Um, you know, some have been very public. Uh, Becky Lynch tweeted about it, and I thought it was a kind of clever tweet. Uh, something along the lines of, uh, because she was number 11, she said something about the lines of, uh, the only time I deserve to be 11 is if you were to ask me on a scale of 1 to 10 how hot I am right now. And she'd be 11, you know, the, the spinal tap, that, that meter goes to 11 kind sure. of thing, sure. um, which is clever. That was good. Uh, some of the girls have, have tweeted a lot, um, have, have reached out to me in, in private, and uh, they've been very happy and some not as happy. Uh, but, yeah, I, I've heard from I'd say maybe 25% of the people on the list. Um, and, you know, for the most part, they may disagree with where they're ranked. Um, but for the most part, everybody's just been very happy that PWI is giving them this coverage and that uh, finally women's wrestling is getting its spot and its, uh, its you know, location in the magazine. Uh, what we also did this year, going from 50 to 100, it was a bit of a challenge, but uh, we really wanted to make sure we included a photo of everybody in the top 100. Uh, which is not something we can do for the 500, um, but we found a way layout-wise to make it work. And uh, we really expanded the section, gave everybody uh, a chance to shine, got their picture in the magazine, and hopefully that will open up the eyes of a lot of fans to introduce them to some of the lesser-known independent and international talents that made the list this year. Now, do you feel right now that women's wrestling, at least in WWE, is hotter with the fans than, than the male wrestling? I don't think it's hotter than the male wrestling uh, per se, uh, because I don't think that there's been as much invested in storylines. Uh, right now, a lot of the women's uh, things that they're putting out there is just kind of, here's a women's pay-per-view and congratulations, everything's very progressive. And it is. Uh, I think once WWE decides to really invest more into the storylines and, and, and develop things a little bit more, I think it can be. Um, but right now, it's just kind of the novelty. I don't want to say novelty; it's it's almost a loaded term. But no, you're right. The special. You're, yeah, that's yeah, a, that's uh, a that's a term I've heard other uh, veteran wrestling people say about the women's division right now that it has a, a bit of a novelty feel to it. Yeah, and, and right now I think that they're relying too heavily on the novelty. 
Um, I think that if you give a storyline like the, you know, the shield with Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins and the breakup there, or some of the other storylines going on, even Miz and, and uh, Daniel Bryan, if you can really do that with the women a bit more, you're doing it with Charlotte and Becky Lynch right now. They tried it with uh, Sasha and Bailey, but it, it's so confusing where that storyline is kind of coming and going. And a, a bunch of the other things are just kind of slapped together. Uh, the Bellas turned uh, on Ronda Rousey really just to give us an evolution main event. Uh, there was no kind of buildup, no, no real story to it. Um, and then the riot squad is just kind of out there just tossing mayhem and, and being a, a good heel opponent for whoever they can work with. Um, so I think once they invest a little bit more time in those storytelling, I think it can become as popular as the men. Uh, it's not quite there yet, but it is definitely promising. Uh, let's do a little good idea, bad idea when it comes to women's wrestling at WWE right now. Okay. Good idea, bad idea. Okay. Good idea, bad idea. Women's tag team titles. I would say it's a good idea if it's one tag title that's defended on both brands, okay. uh, because that would be special. Uh, right now, I think that I, I don't believe in the brand uh, split, split. I don't like having the two separate rosters. I'm kind of in the minority on that, I think. Um, I don't like having as many championship as there, championships as there are. If you did have one tag team that floated between Raw and uh, SmackDown, I think it could work out. Uh, but if you have one tag team that's on Raw and then the second one that's on SmackDown, then it just waters everything down even more. So if they do decide to make one tag title that goes between both brands, I think it can work out. All right. Good idea. Bad idea. Women's only WWE network one hour show weekly. Very good idea. Um, I think that that can be a a very big draw. Um, I don't even know if WWE network is necessarily the place Uh, with the new Fox TV deal. Who knows? It it might make it somewhere on Fox or one of the affiliate networks or something along those lines. Um, The question is, if you do put it on the WWE Network and make it a women's exclusive show, do you then take the women off the main show? And I don't really want to do that. I don't want to segregate it. But I think if you had a showcase women's show uh, that's more of kind of the big storylines, the big angles, and the big matches, I think it's a fantastic idea. What do you think the cruiserweights could be learning from the women's division right now? I feel like they're both kind of in a weird, similar bubble. The cruiserweights have not been given the opportunity to shine on the main stage. I mean, you don't have a WWE pay-per-view ending with the rivalry of two cruiserweights. Um, For the most part, uh, they're all presented as fairly interchangeable. They're all presented as kind of, uh, um, you know, you win this week, I win next week, kind of topsy-turvy, even Stephen Booking. Uh, whereas the women have had a little bit more to kind of develop. Um, certainly the, the Sasha Banks, Charlotte feud of last year, I believe maybe a year, maybe two years ago now, um, well last year, no, it, it headlined a pay-per-view. It, it headlined some episodes of raw. They got behind that and really promoted that, that rivalry. I don't think we've seen anything in the cruiserweight division to really touch that. Um, there can be, there's plenty of talent there. Uh, but right now it's mostly about just kind of doing spots and getting the spots in rather than having a, a deeper storyline uh, like the women's division has. All right, last question here to wrap up our female chatter to start the show. Uh, who in 2019 is going to be the breakout female wrestler, in your opinion? Ooh, that's, that's really good. Uh, all right, I, I guess what I'll go with is um, maybe a bit of a dark horse. Uh well, I mean, Tony Storm it, it seems like the very obvious choice. Uh, but I'll go a little bit deeper. I'll go with Shayna Baszler. 
certainly, I mean, they're both already, they were on evolution, both of them. So I'm not digging too far. Uh, but Shayna Baszler has only been wrestling for four or five years now. I remember I was there for her second match at Shimmer, uh, second match ever, uh, pro match at least. And um, she's got just an amazing talent uh, and, and such a great head for the business. Um, I don't know if WWE really would consider her as kind of being the next uh, person to carry the roster, carry the brand, but I think that she's got the talent to do it. So Tony Storm may be the one who kind of gets a big push next year, but uh, Shayna Baszler, I think, is the one to really watch out for. All right, and with that, guys, we're going to take you our first back-to-back interview block of the Winkley. Uh, first up, you're going to hear uh, from MLW's Brian Pillman Jr. Right after him will be the author of Trump Mania, Trump Mania Lavi Margolin, and then we'll be back right after with uh, right after Lavi. We're gonna be talking the news of the week with Dan here on the Winkley. At this time, I am uh, more than excited. I am honored to welcome a man uh, with such a pedigree. He is Brian Pillman Jr. BPJ. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me here today. No problem. No problem. I'm. Uh, this is what I do. I live and breathe this business. So. So very pleasure, very pleasure to be here. How is it? How is it now? Because we'll just start, I'll just start kind of broadly here. Obviously, your dad is you know a legend in professional wrestling. A lot of people's like all time favorite. How is it for you now? Of course, getting to be in the ring after growing up watching that your whole life. How is it now to be an actual pro wrestler? You know, it's pretty crazy to to think of all the things happening that, that begin to happen. You know, you start to people start to make art of you. They start to they start to make uh, custom video game. You know, create a character and the you know it looks just like it. It's one hundred percent you know good quality content that the fans are creating for me. You know, I'm sure there's a few custom action figures out there already, and I've just been doing this for a little over ten months, and it, you know it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, you know, and the thing with you is you took to wrestling like a fish to water. I mean, you really did. I was telling you right before we you know, started recording here, I had the uh, honor of getting to call one of your first matches down in Crown Point, Indiana for Black Label Pro over a year ago. And I remember people saying to me, this, is, this guy's only worked like three matches, and you're doing high cross bodies off the top rope to the outside. I mean, did you feel, did you feel that connection immediately when it, it came time for you to make that transition into training to be a full-time wrestler? Yeah, coming out of Lance's, uh, when you come out of a school like that, you just, you know, you're already kind of pretty well-rounded with as far as the fundamentals go. So from there, it was just, let me just try a few new things. And, and, and Joey Janela really pushed me to my limit in that match very early on in my career. You know, I was I was so blown up. I was so physically uh, beaten from that, like, match just because of how physical it was, how great of a competitor that Joey Janela was, uh, you know. So uh, that's that's why I had to go all out. You know, you, you know, coaches, Coach Storm is telling us, you know, don't be doing dives in your first few matches. And you know, my third match, I dove over the barricade into the crowd. What can I say? You know, I'm I'm a natural born star. I'm gonna do what it takes to please the people and, and to get the pop. So. <laughs> I love that Lance Storm is telling you don't do dives in your first matches. And the fondest memory I have of that bout is that high crossbody to the outside. And just visually just being yeah. like, being like, wow, this is the son of Brian Pillman. Uh, mullet and all right here. Uh, fully in action. How, how is Lance? Do you still get notes from Lance? Are you sending him tape? Is he still helping you progress? Oh, yeah. He, he's definitely a great ear. Uh, you know, there's very few people. Uh, in this business that that'll lend you as much time and, and advice as, as Lance Storm. If you know, if you're one of his previous students, he is 100% there for people. 
whether it's, you know, Twitter DM or, you know, I've, I've heard even guys giving them calls and calling them up, you know, old students is so very good, helpful ear to have, but you know, like you just said there, sometimes doing the exact opposite of what you're told is it pays off, right? You know, you remember that that's in your head and then you'll, you know, they will take that with you wherever you go. If you see it again, you'll know it's me, you know? So uh, building building my my look and this first year has been all about building my look and my theme and, and who I am you know I'm not going to sit here and say I'm this uh, perfectly well-rounded wrestler but you know what I mean it's, it's we're, we're getting there and uh it's the crazy thing is the sky's the limit right so yeah uh, it's, it's only going to get more interesting I, I can only I'm already thinking of so many ways to evolve my my creativity uh, outreaches my ability a lot of times because there's so much I want to do. There's so many ideas I have and, and sometimes you got to take it slower. So, but yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's really awesome. I'm traveling the whole United States. I can't tell you how many States I've been to. So that's, you know, and you know, it's been, like I said, it's only been like a year or so since you've really been breaking out. And it's crazy to think that within that year you were out with injury for like a significant chunk of that. I mean, you had a, you had a, what was it? A knee injury that took you out for like six, seven months, something like that. Uh, yeah, so I actually had a had a torn PCL uh, just from being at being at training. Uh, we have a ring over there in uh, Dayton, Ohio, Rockstar Pro Wrestling, and uh, we were just getting some extra ring time in. So you know, we're at the we're at the ring till ten thirty at night. You know, guys are getting a little antsy and stuff, and we you know moving a little too quick, doing a little too much at once. And I tore my PCL. Um, yeah, that that stuff happens, and it's just all part of the process. In today's climate, the uh, it's such a high level of in-ring uh, ability that's being displayed on on the indies and over the internet and stuff. So you really got to compete for that and, and and earn your spot in today's in today's wrestling. So I uh, tore my PCL, but you know, doctor said six months, and I came back in in roughly three. So oh, that's right. Oh, wow. uh, there's there's a little bit of. Uh, you know, there's some genetics on my side. You know, I think I think uh, any injuries I sustain, I'm going to be able to get through in my younger years, and that's just kind of the learning. You know, you learn really, you learn really good when you get hurt. So, you know, there's learning the learning the easy way, learn the hard way, and sometimes you got to learn the hard way. And and as you as you know, there's a lot of wrestlers uh, that are still doing this job today on the big scene on the big screen, and and they've got lots of injuries and things. So. How how are you feeling That's right just now? That's part of it. You know, it's part of the job, basically. How are you yeah. feeling now on the mend? Are you fully recovered? Are you still uh, shaking off? Some yeah, of- my knee's great. Yeah, my knee is my knee is awesome. Yeah, it's it's better. Yeah, it's it's more flexible than it was before, um, and it's better. You know, um, but you know, some things happen, and and you have to change your style a little bit for a while. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm actually getting a little more confident with my with my acrobatics again. So might be taken to the skies a little bit sooner than expected, but you know, some activity is uh, expected. We'll say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, let's, let's switch to the activity here. Uh, MLW as uh, tonight, as I'm uh, releasing this on Thursday, this is going down Cicero stadium in uh, just outside Chicago, Illinois, uh, big show sold out show. From what I gather, a couple thousand people are going to be packed into this uh, arena tomorrow night. And you've recently been uh, teaming with Harry Smith and uh, Teddy Hart, you guys are the new Hart Foundation. Love you guys as a group. Tell me, how did it come together that you three reformed as the new Hart Foundation? Uh, well, how did we, how did we reform? 
Yeah, well, I mean, or did yeah. we originally form? How did you? Well, yeah. How did you? <laughs> I, mean, I guess I say, how did you create this new formation of the the New Heart Foundation? Because it's well, only been a couple uh, months. You now. know, I'll tell you what. It, it was it was kind of the it was kind of in the making. Naturally, I had met Harry Davy Boy Smith Jr. first when I was training in Calgary. So there's a little foreshadowing there. Yeah, uh, met him at an indie show um, up in Calgary, Alberta. Really nice show, sold out crowd and. And you know, got to thank Harry for that. He uh, he does he does a lot for his local uh, promotions and drawing for them. So it was a really cool night, and uh, he had a hell of a main event match, and I got to meet him and talk to him, and and that kind of sparked that friendship. And then lo and behold, the next time you know I see I see Teddy in New Jer- I see Teddy in New Jersey. When I get done training, I go and do some uh, do some work for DJ Hyde in New Jersey and his training uh, promotion get some matches under my belt and I ended up having a tag team match with Teddy. Teddy Hart was in the area. Now, and, uh, tell me, but yeah, it was, it was all in the making and, and MLW, uh, got to give them credit that they, uh, they saw this and they, they decided to put it together. You know, this was, this was something we were all approached by about and, and it kind of just happened. A promotion like MLW, they, they see the current trends. They, they know how to use technology to, uh, see the future so to speak and we're going to continue to use that technology to find out what these fans want and we're going to give them the best product that there is in wrestling today yeah absolutely well i gotta slow down for just a second here take me back what was it like meeting teddy hart i feel like that's a that's an indoctrination there when you uh when you finally get some time with teddy hart tell me what it was like to get getting to know teddy yeah so uh Teddy's one of those people that he's always going to be honest with you, you know? So, uh, meeting Teddy was, was, was a really cool experience to meet somebody that, that truly is, uh, independent and, and, and has value and can, and can care for himself. He gets the job done plain and simply always delivers high level matches, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, He's just he's just a badass. It's it's really great to be with a group of guys that can really hold their own. You know what I'm saying? They they really they really got this industry by the balls. They always have. Uh, Harry, you know, being in Japan, Teddy just dominating the states. You know, we uh, we we got a pretty good stranglehold on what you'd like to call pro wrestling right now. The Heart Foundation does. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and that, that you're such a, you're such a great spot. I feel like you're in the spot you you should be in right now. Because Harry and Teddy really are just, you know, they're kind of different ends of the spectrum wrestling style-wise, but a lot of knowledge there to glean from. Uh, is there anything that they've taught or bestowed upon you that's really resonated and helped you progress here? Yeah, and it, and it would always be better to uh, to sort of move in with one of them and, and train even further. But, you know, due to our schedules, it's it's so hectic, you know, with with – Harry being in Japan and then Teddy does some different dates up in Canada and stuff too. But, but yeah, it's such a learning tree to be sitting under. I just, I, I almost want to get together a little house and, and, and call it the heart compound, you know, and we just have like two rings and we, and we just go balls to the wall all day. But unfortunately that's, that's not the case, you know, so I pick up what I can, but a lot of it's, a lot of it's, you know, on the fly. I've, I've been learning on the fly since I started. I'm a very fast learner. And, uh, yeah, you'll notice in my offense, it, it definitely reflects uh, on Teddy Hart's offense and as well as Davey Boyd's. We all, we all were trained in that relatively Canadian style. 
so uh, with Teddy just having a larger background in, in Mexican lucha and Harry having a larger background with uh, Japanese strong style, so to speak. So very, very cool dynamic to see those two guys play off each other. And I just kind of come in with a lot of aggressive stuff of my own and uh, try to try to take from both of them and so I can be a well-rounded uh, wrestler. Have you uh, talked at all with Harry about maybe putting in a good word for you to go spend a little time in Japan? Um, you know, there's there's been words that were that were spoken. Uh, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say who it was. I'm not gonna say New Japan, but you know, I won't say that. But but New Japan's a possibility. I didn't say it, but that's how that goes. And uh, you know, just people people talking, emails, you know, stuff like that. Nothing nothing crazy. No, no dates are set in stone. So, but yeah, I'd like to go to Japan. I'd like to do it with the with the biggest company there. You know, I don't want to go over there and and not be taken care of to the to the fullest extent. So, uh, I think I think we're gonna I think we're gonna be over there in, in some capacity soon. That would be great. I mean, it would be you know I don't know if Teddy would come along for the ride. I don't know because legally is Teddy allowed to leave the country? Is that is that is he can he go to Japan? Uh, I cannot. I don't know. I can't confirm or deny what 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 that. You know what I mean. You got to ask Teddy. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll... On that one, you know, if if that's a, if that's a rumor, maybe maybe there's some truth to it. But mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, he's cleaned up his act, and uh, we're doing a lot of good work over here on on TV with MLW. So if Japan sees that and uh, sees what he's worth, because he's worth a lot, they uh, they might be willing to bring him in. So it's it's one of those things in wrestling is. There's always a thousand standards, and there's always a thousand stories about who can do what and who can go where, and all the time they're proven wrong. But you know that would be a wonderful, wonderful thing to have the whole Heart Foundation in Japan, dominating Japan. Man. You know, there, there's a lot of potential here. Is there any other members out there of the? Do you do you see anybody else that you think could be a, a tie-in to the the new Heart Foundation right now? Anybody else you'd like to welcome into the ranks? Uh, it's very hard. There's a there's a lack of. Uh, of, of wrestling uh, royalty, so to speak, on the indies, and it's it's very hard to to uh, in, in, to bring someone in and, and try to ingrain the philosophy of the Heart Foundation to them if they just simply don't understand. So, uh, you know, I, I'm always keeping my eyes out, but but like I said, this this was we didn't you know we didn't choose this. This happened by strictly nature and survival of the fittest, and we are just we came together because we knew that this was going to be perfect for business. And it also, you know, gives back to our family and, and things in a way. So really, it's it's just going to keep going. And I'm not sure when it's going to stop. So we're just getting started. And uh, our team's only going to grow more and more as I tag with Teddy, as I tag with Harry, as we do some more uh, triple uh, six-man tag type deals. So. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, shifting gears, you're talking about surviving. You're going to have to survive here tonight uh, in Chicago. You're taking on... ECW original Tommy Dreamer. Uh, very cool. I'm sure that this has got to be an uh, exciting bout for you, getting to step in there with Tommy. What are your expectations for tonight? You know, I, I expect to uh, have one hell of a hell of a match. You know, you're talking about an ECW legend. You're talking about, you know, one of the hottest names still, you know, still on the Indies today. And But, you know, guess what? He's, he's on his way out. And uh, it's my time now. It's time is up, if you know what I'm saying. So uh, it, it's unfortunate that it's unfortunate that these people will uh, continue to uh, milk the business for for all the fame that they that they build over the years. And and I think it's time to let some new talent in and and, and let those those old philosophies die along with along with those old 
those old ways. So I'm looking to get in the ring, and, and it's gonna be it's gonna be very physical. It's gonna be very painful because uh, it always is when you're when you're pulling that when you're pulling someone out of their dream and out of their matrix. You know, I'm sure he thinks I'm sure he still thinks he's 25, but the sad part is he's not. So when I pull him out of the matrix and show him the reality of things. Uh, it's going to be ugly. It's 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 not going to be fun, and and they can you know he he can innovate all the violence he wants, but at the end of the day, I've got I've got time on my side. I've got the youth on my side, the athleticism, the looks. You know, he's he's just another guy. So as far as I'm concerned, Tommy Dreamer is going to get one hell of a one hell of a battle tonight, and I'm not I'm not going down. I I, I my back's against the wall. I can only win at MLW. I can only win for the Hart Foundation. So. Um, I'm not going down easy. How is it getting to meet these guys, some of which knew your dad, and they see you, and they, you know, they see a bit of him and you? How is it getting to talk to these guys now after you know seeing them as adults when you were just a kid? Oh, it's wild. You know, they, a lot of them do remember. Uh, I mean, there was stacked cards at those Pillman Memorial shows, if, if you if you can recall. I mean, yeah. just tons of guys. Mark Henry. I mean, Lashley and Lesnar worked them when they were like the Minnesota wrecking crew, you know what I mean? Just like a bunch of people, a bunch of guys, uh, Lita, Jeff, and Matt Hardy. I remember seeing them as kids. You run into them on the indies, and you're like, whoa, you know, so really cool to kind of reconnect with all those people. And, and again, there's so many older guys uh, latching on, holding on to the business, trying to stay in, you know, and, and it's cute, and it's nice to see them at the cons and at the events and all, but... But uh, it's my time to shine, and I'm going to prove that tonight in Chicago, or tomorrow night, rather. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, uh, with that, I just want to ask about MLW. Like, what is your contract? You, or you're under contract with MLW, correct? That is correct, yes. What is What does an MLW contract allow you to do? Are you are limited in uh, um, places you can work or anything like that? I'm just interested. I don't know how they, they're doing business. Um, right now I'm, uh, where the, uh, just to keep it simple, where I'm, where I'm wanting to work, I'm allowed to work. So I don't want to get into too many details of my contract, but, uh, let's just say they're very flexible. Um, it's, it's, it's probably on a case by case basis. So I won't get into too many details of that, but, um, where, where I need to work and where I'm working is there have been no conflicts thus far. And, uh, if anything arises, I will, you know, I'll be sure to run that by management and just get an approval for that. So, but very flexible. I, I do like to focus my efforts on MLW. However, uh, being being the future face of this company is very important to me, and I'm going to try to maintain that as much as possible by by not uh, working with too many of of our competitors and, and maintaining my image as a as a top level star at Major League Wrestling. That's you sound so kind. I love it. You sound awesome, man. Um, the uh, but with that said, like you bring up, you know, Mark Henry, Lita, all these people you have, it's no secret you have connections in WWE. Does that even interest you, or do you enjoy the the life of being, you know, the, the face of MLW and, and getting out to, to work the indies and things like that? Uh, it's definitely really fun, uh, being out in the indies. You really get to experience the, the roots of this business. Uh, how people were brought in and brought up and and the things that people have to go through just to get noticed, just to really earn that respect. And in my eyes, I made a good decision by, by, by giving an indie uh, run out there. I've learned a lot of, a lot of experience that maybe some guys may not have learned had they just went straight to, to the Federation or, or in, through the performance center. So I'm very grateful for the path that I've taken. I want to thank my trainer, Lance Storm, 
Um, but with all that said, the, the, the WWE NXT Performance Center, all those different words and acronyms, those, those seem to be popping up uh, more and more in my rearview mirror uh, lately. So uh, it's one of those things, though, you know, you got you to take care of your business first. And I'm, I'm doing business with MLW right now, and, and that's my major focus. But, you know, like I said, there, you know, there's, there's, there's connections, sure, but uh, it's all about taking the right steps at the right time. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm surely uh, waiting for the right time to do that step, if, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Makes sense to me. Uh, hey, Brian, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Again, tonight, guys, Cicero Stadium. Check it out, MLW in Chicago. Uh, go online, get your tickets now, uh, or get them at the – I don't know if there's going to be tickets available. It's, I, I think it's sold out. I don't even know why I'm promoting tickets. I don't think you can get tickets anymore. Yeah, yeah, I don't even think you can. It's, it's uh, sold out arena, Cicero Stadium. We'll, we'll have to see what it's like. I've never been there, but the uh, largest pop I ever received was in Chicago. So I think the people are ready to see us, ready to see me. I agree. And where can they find you online? Where do you want to send people to find you, follow you for all your adventures? My main forms of communication are Twitter at Flying Brian Jr. and Instagram at Flying Brian 41. Welcome back, Wrestling Inc. At this time, I welcome an author, not just an author, an author of a book called Trump Mania. It is Lavi Margolin. Did I get it right? Sounds great. Okay. Lavi, man, I've, I've chatted with you before. I'm so happy to have you back. Uh, how how is the success of Trump Mania treating you? I see this thing popping up in hands all over the place. It's going great. It's really exciting to see how far this book travels, both in media circles, wrestling community, mainstream, and across the aisle. Now, this book is not uh, the thing I like about Trump Mania is it's not really like an opinionated thing. It's not an editorial. This isn't your take on the goings on of Donald Trump. You did a very uh, you did a bare bones. Straight facts, this is the history of Donald Trump and professional wrestling, correct? That's correct. I thought the facts really stood for themselves. What was most interesting in, in having done research for the book, I knew the topic would be of interest to many, especially if they weren't familiar with his extensive involvement in wrestling. But the more I dug and the more that I found sort of in between the big moments that we remember, and those facts really stood on their own as, as interest. No one wanted to hear me rant on, maybe they follow me on Twitter a little bit for that, but generally um, the book really tells the story of Trump, Vince McMahon, and the WWE over 30 years. Yeah, and it is a it is a very interesting relationship. Um, I'm excited to have you on here because we are recording this on the Wednesday after uh, the midterm election. So we're going to get to that here in just a moment. But while I've got you here, too, obviously, WWE was just in Saudi Arabia. Uh, there was a, you know, very geopolitically controversial issue. Crown Jewel was. Um, I want you to tell me, t- tell me about. Let me phrase this. How do I want to phrase this correctly? This is WWE working with some characters that may seem a little nefarious. Tell me about some of the characters that Donald Trump and WWE worked with. And I'm going to I'm going to say specifically in Atlantic City, because that was part of the book that I think I was most fascinated by when it came to nefarious characters in that orbit. <laughs> um, so certainly when. Um... Uh, you cross over into a world like Atlantic City, not dissimilar from Las Vegas. You enter um, the world of gambling and all the characters that that um, brings about. So one of the um, most interesting points that came out years later was at um, 
the WrestleMania where Donald Trump was front row and center, whether it was four or five, he was um, right next to someone named Labuti, who is a um, a, a well-known um, gangster and, and well-affiliated um, who actually had been fined for um, several thousand dollars for, um, you know, being very um, racist and refusing, um, you know, service from, from people that um, weren't to his liking. So one of those characters. And very interestingly, Trump had uh, – he, he – Labuti named his horse after Trump. So Trump claimed that he had no idea who it was, but uh, they were obviously much closer connected and, and a good relationship with that. And McMahon was willing to enter that world because um, it was very lucrative and really the first WrestleMania paid show. Um, today, we imagine WrestleMania's many different cities competing for the show and knowing the economic boom back then, certainly WrestleMania three had been um, a huge success in the Pontiac Silverdome. Um, but to have somebody come and say, we're going to pay not only for one WrestleMania, but two was a huge opportunity. Yeah. And those were WrestleMania's four and five that took place in Atlantic city with Donald Trump and Vince McMahon, correct? Yes. Yeah. Now, so you have here, Donald Trump, Offering this platform with money that has been brought in by nefarious characters and Vince McMahon is willing, not only just willing, but excited to present this show for them does kind of ring a bell, doesn't it? Right. I think McMahon is is very, um, you know, he looks at the business opportunity sort of from what we often forget about corporations is that at the end of the day, they're defined as a corporation because they have to bring money to their shareholders, whether that's private shareholders or a mix of private and public, if it's a publicly owned company. And McMahon very much subscribes to that. Um, he may have certain political leanings that he's not shy to share at times or certain views of, of different people from different backgrounds or countries but when opportunity knocks um he's certainly ready to uh to answer are you surprised that more wasn't made in the media about the connection between donald trump the mcmahons and crown jewel in the current landscape i think every day is such a big news story you know even the pulse of today the, the day after the elections where you know there's one story in the morning and America feels one way. And um, then, you know, there's a press conference in the afternoon and things change. So although it was covered, um, you know, it's, it's hard to keep track of so many things. Um, certainly there is the strong connection with Linda in the cabinet, but it, you know, you really had to dig to really see further how it's all uh, interconnected. How, how far, how, how interconnected do you think these things were, you know, because it sounds crazy when I, when I say to people like, yeah, you know, I think Donald Trump may have been working with Vince McMahon to help pull off this Saudi Arabia show. That's like a pretty, that's like a crazy thing when I say that to some people, but I think there's an element of truth to that. I think, um, you know, there was an interesting um, piece that, that David Dixon-Span had, had put out where he had been emailing with um, somebody representing the administration or the government, and um, he had asked if, over email, if um, the government had ever told them, the WWE, that is, not to go, and the person had responded off the record, no. Um, so uh, David had justified why he could still share that, even though the person wrote off the record, but it kind of spoke more towards there's something going on here. Um, I don't know how much, you know, 
the administration would have been involved in planning it. But I believe if there was ever a point where another company may have gotten a strong suggestion not to go, or maybe even, you know, a ban on being able to participate in this. I think that they would have had the WWE would have at least had the ear of Trump, whether through Linda, who's now often pictured um, right next to Trump at, in um, cabinet meetings for the optics of it, seemingly, or you know even a call from Vince. Um, yesterday, I was just uh, poking around on Twitter and enjoying seeing that Trump um, still has a very small handful of connections on Twitter, um, many of which are his own uh, golf courses and such. But in terms of people, Vince McMahon is one of the few people that's not a blood relative or a business that's directly connected to him on there. That's wild, right? And, you know, I, it's it's wild to me because you do you have Linda and, and Donald Trump in the same space here. And if there is any kind of loophole or not loopholes but red tape these these guys need to get through to to get the show going obviously you know not hard to get a hold of the the person who makes that call there um but also you know the mcmahons and the trumps have shared a very interesting financial relationship as well um do you want do you want to talk a bit about uh the donations the mcmahons have made to or the now former trump organization which i don't think is in existence anymore not the trump organization the trump charity i apologize yeah Right. So it's certainly a complicated process but um, uh, that one would want to read about in the book or, or look into further. But basically, um, when uh, Trump participated in um, some of these big uh, moments, whether it was um, Battle of the Billionaires and, and all those um, assorted activities, as well as being the owner of the Raw, the money um, wasn't uh, placed directly to Trump. It went to his foundation. And even the money that was given to Trump, um, it was unclear or, or there were denials whether it came directly from the WWE, which would have made sense because he's you know, helping their corporation, or it actually came personally from the McMahons. And you know, there, there's tie-ups in other ways. One of the interesting points that came out of my research is that when Linda McMahon was running for Senate in one of the two terms, um, you know, it came out in the financials that they were behind in taxes for one of their properties, which happens to be a apartment complex that Trump owned in Connecticut. So it's just wild to me, knowing that the McMahons have never had a problem doing business with Donald Trump, him putting a dollar in their pocket, them putting a dollar in his pocket. If they're going and making hundreds of millions of dollars in Saudi Arabia, it would not be wild to think that they would be either donating back to the Trump campaign or some kind of other uh payment like that um yeah i don't know it, it, it's just interesting and i'm not saying that's happening maybe necessarily but there is a history of that to point back to i'm just surprised that nobody's made more hay about that i think trump isn't shy about you know letting everyone know who his friends are and and how you can gain additional leverage in that way um certainly we, we haven't seen you know that that sort of feeling come out but one can look at the case with um Glenn Jacobs in Tennessee, the, uh, I was going to say the former Kane, but the current Kane as well, and <laughs> how the WWE is sort of operating to get him over to Saudi Arabia and sort of how Glenn Jacobs is operating to stay in good political standing, where the WWE was paying $100,000 to a charity in his district. And, um, you know, that was sort of an exchange for his participation in um, Saudi Arabia in not so many words.
Yeah, very interesting. Uh, this Saudi Arabia and the Crown Jewel show, I think we're going to learn more about as time goes on. But uh, let's shift gears here. Obviously, uh, like I said, this is the day after the midterm elections. And Donald Trump, uh, you know, picked up the, the Republicans picked up a couple seats in the Senate, but they lost uh, control of the House now. Um, how do you think that Donald Trump is going to react in this new environment where he does not have as much control as he did before? I think he is going to be concerned. I don't know if he's a, a person that can be cautious from what we've seen, but, you know, one of the earliest tweets after celebrating, I, I think it's interesting because it's going through a prism. A lot of people seem to be happy, at least of this morning in America, because they thought their side won, whether it was to say, well, we kept the, the Senate because that's difficult to do, or we won the House, so now there'll be checks and, and balances. But Trump is already tweeting about um, how less Americans support the Mueller investigation, which is you know ridiculous on face because it has nothing to do with the public approval of an investigation that no one knows anything about. So uh, I think you know behind the scenes uh, he's sweating uh, for, from all of the people that have been indicted around his administration. But you know at the other sense he's he's been uh, a Teflon person as well, meaning that. Um, he's had a lot of heat, but a lot has bounced off him. And look, he's he's the president today. Now, knowing that, that was, I think, a very good description of, of what the inner workings of the White House are today. But knowing that, to kind of pull it back to pro wrestling, what pro wrestling lessons do you think Donald Trump has learned over the years that will maybe help him in this situation? Or maybe not help, but you think that he will enact in this current situation? I think um, one of the most important lessons that, that somebody in a political position like this and something certainly Trump uh, has learned or, or could learn from is that uh, a heel isn't always a heel and a face isn't always a face hmm. um, in that you can at least feel that you can change your perception. And at certain times, uh, Trump has reached out to do that, um, but I think he's created a, a perception that it's hard to change. So, for example, um, shortly after he was elected, um, he was already holding his rallies, which, which seemed to give him a lot of um, enjoyment or um, are good for the ego. And the uh, Hillary chant of lock her up started again, and he said, no, 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 you know, I don't think I'm going to do that. Or it is, it's kind of like, like a, it is kind of like a wrestling show. I hate to cut you off there, but it's like, yeah, he likes to go be a, he likes to go non-physically to a wrestling show. He likes the chance. He likes the shirts. He likes the pageantry of wrestling without the actual wrestling. Right. You know, it, it's great for the ego. It's exciting. And you can see in his speeches how he knows how to play to an audience well, whether that's TP of understanding, you know, when an audience wants to hear if it's Cole country and you can sort of cheer for Cole or um, you say something that you know is going to get a big reaction. So you pause long enough for uh, momentum to take over in the audience and they cheer for it. it you know, it's it's fun in a way. It's, it's... Unfortunately, that fun you know, has um, a lot of negative effects on people. But for him, um, you know, it's very satisfying. It's interesting the way you describe how he's like working the territories, right? He's like, well, we went to Canada, so you know, I tried to get a Bret Hart thing going, right? When, then we went out to Texas and I played to the Shawn Michaels crowd, you know. Um, it's interesting. Um, well, Levy, I got, I got to thank you, man. I always enjoy chatting with you. Uh, how, what are you doing right now with Trump Mania? Are you going to be writing a follow up, uh, kind of tracking Donald Trump and Linda McMahon's uh, relationship here through the uh, the current administration? Um, you never know if there'll be an updated version because the news cycle keeps going, and I do have in mind sort of, oh, look look at everything that's happened 
um, you know, the book really leads you to about um, six months into the administration, but how much has happened then. But um, stay tuned. Um, the book has gotten interest from Hollywood, and it's attached to a, a large production company, um, and it might take um, another twist towards a, a media platform soon. I, I can't say too much, but hopefully we'll hear in the next six months where that's going. No, wait, wait. No, that, I'm not going to let you end on that. That now you've, now you've just got me excited. So wait, you, this is fascinating that this book has got interest from some kind of major entity, and you don't need to express that here. But would this be something where actors are cast and are recreating the moments between Donald Trump and Vince McMahon? Yes, so it'll be I'm, – I'm not sure yet if it would be completely acted out or more um, narrated, but um, they're exploring who will who will do what at the moment, but there'll be a, um, a retelling of um, you know, the Trump mania story in another media format. Fascinating. Uh, if you could cast somebody to play Vince McMahon, do you have an idea of who that would be? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a great question. Um, just, uh, maybe one of the, uh, Baldwin. Oh, oh yeah. Baldwin would be good. Alec Baldwin, I could see doing a decent Vince. I think that it was, uh, who, what Josh Brolin, I think was the name last time around when they were talking about a Vince movie was the guy that everybody got excited about. Oh yes. That when that script came out, um, the one that WWE had purchased and, and uh, some podcasts are doing table site meetings of it. It's so, uh, entertaining. Um, I hope that the Trump mania, um, uh, media version will be more true to the original, but but that story is um, is really uh, entertaining to listen to. Well, it's a fascinating book. Uh, I highly encourage everybody to go out. Uh, Lavi or La- Lavi? I keep saying Lavi, yes. and I know that's wrong. Lavi. Correct. Wow, it's so hard. It's so hard for me to say it like that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep saying it. Lavi, um, Lavi. Where can people go uh, to find the book? Find more about you. All that great stuff. Sure. So the best place to pick up the book is Amazon, any of the Amazons across the world. Um, you have the print version and the Kindle version. To follow my wrestling um, story and pontifications, um, or just to reach out to me, is Twitter. So Lavi Marg, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. And I post articles from time to time mixed with career advice on lioncubjobsearch.com. <laughs> Thank you very much, Brian and Lavi. We're going to have uh, two more big interviews coming up here later in the show, but uh, we're talking the news now, Dan. And uh, I wanted to start. We talked to the women before. I figured I'd start with some female news here to kind of ease us back in. Uh, Gail Kim on Twitter this past week uh, fired uh, an accusation of racism towards WWE uh, about bringing Hulk Hogan back. She's gone on to since kind of clarify her statements that it wasn't directed at everybody at WWE but did seem to double down at pointing the finger at management. Are you surprised to see Gail Kim speaking out like this, Dan? No, I'm not surprised. I, I think that Gail, um, in, in not even speaking to her directly, though I have uh, spoken to her several times, uh, but I've heard her speak. I've heard her speak at the Cauliflower Alley Club and other events um, and, and heard her be interviewed and have interviewed her myself. But um she has kind of hinted or in some cases outright said that she's faced racism in her own experience in WWE. Um, She's not alone. A lot of people have said that. Um, I mean, that's kind of a reality, unfortunately, of the world. Um, Not a lot of people are in a position like Gal is today where they can say something about it. 
she married uh, Chef Robert Irvine. She's doing very well for herself. She's pretty much retired from in-ring competition, uh, but still does appearances and things like that. Um, she really doesn't need WWE, uh, so she can say what she wants to say. Um, so I'm not surprised that she's doing it, and I'm sure that she did have some experience there. Uh, there it's been widely kind of said that uh, Vince McMahon, when, when she was brought in, just never gave her a second look because he didn't find uh, Asian women attractive. And he <laughs> thought attractive women is what needed to be on TV. Yeah. And that was what WWE was presenting at the time. Um, so that was definitely her experience and, and, you know, good for her for, for kind of uh, calling attention to it. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not surprised that she did. Now, now in general here, let's talk about what she was responding to, which was Hulk Hogan coming back here. Um, Good or bad bringing Hulk Hogan back into the fold now? It was bad to do it in Saudi Arabia at the Crown Jewel event. Um, Hogan came back uh, last maybe four or five months ago, was backstage at, at Raw at one of the pay-per-views, right. um, and apologized uh, to the locker room. Uh, some people were swayed by the apology. Others were kind of vocally against it, right. but at least he, he tried. He, he came out there and, and tried to make his amends. And it was obvious that WWE was looking to bring him back. Um, the better way to bring him back is to maybe do something on raw, not kind of backdoor him in with the Saudi Arabia show with all of the baggage that that carried. Um, it, it was a controversial move that they added on to a bigger controversy and it just made everything worse. It, it kind of uh, compounded everything. Uh, having Hogan back, I mean, he, he, he certainly made his mistake, um, but, you know, people can, can have, be forgiven if the public is willing to. Uh, so I'm glad that WWE gave him that opportunity, but the way they handled it from uh, soup to nuts was, was wrong. From a historical perspective, how do you think something, an, an event like Crown Jewel with Hoax Return, how, how do you think this is going to be remembered, and how do you think it's even currently affecting WWE's image? Well, I think fans are not happy with it. I don't think it's really affecting WWE's image to the mainstream at all. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's been talked about John Oliver, and a couple people have mentioned it, but uh, WWE has always kind of gotten those criticisms about different stunts in the past, and they they, they tend to kind of roll off their back after a little bit of time. Uh, what I think the legacy of this might be, this might be the beginning of kind of a, an ugly period for WWE. Um, it, it feels very much like a cash grab. Uh, the entire relationship with Saudi Arabia, the deal with Fox TV, WWE is more profitable than it's ever been. Uh, but the fans are feeling a little bit more uncomfortable with the product than they ever have as well. And that's the thing. Um, at some point, is this about the, the, the fans, the fan experience, or is this purely about let's get as much money as we can? Um, as a corporation, yeah, maybe WWE's responsibility lies to its stakeholders and get as much money as they can. And if that's the case, maybe that's what this era is. Maybe this is the money era. It's not so much about new stars or storylines or attitude or ruthless aggression. This is just the cash grab era. And I think that uh, the Crown Jewels show could be the very beginning of that. What was uh, the name of WCW's last pay-per-view again? Uh, Greed. Oh. oh, that's right. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know the Millionaire <laughs> Club had come back. Uh, uh, yes. When you say it out loud like that, Dan, it makes me sad. You know, I, I'll I'll follow it up by saying, you know, obviously you paint a kind of amoral, grim view of WWE in in the moment. Um, do you think they're soft right now for me? If for if 
reasonable competition could come along. And I'll throw it out there. I've been kind of coy about it the past couple weeks. But the idea of, like, Cody and the Bucks, you know, teaming up, launching something, taking that all-in trademark they're about to finish up with right now. Do you think if if, uh, something with some real positivity, some high production value, a real investor behind it, do you think WWE is soft right now with their audience? No, I don't. I mean, the thing is, I think that what Cody and the Bucks have done is they've tapped into a growing market of um, dissatisfied fans. But the, even the dissatisfied fans are still watching WWE. Uh, they're putting on what you might consider a better show, um, but it's like comparing, the, you know, uh, what would be the best way to say this? Maybe you 2 or the Rolling Stones' new reunion tour or whatever with, you know, seeing the struts at a, a club somewhere. Like, yeah, the struts are great. They're really good. They're, they're up and coming. They, they, they do a lot of great stuff, um, but they're just not the big show. They're not you 2 They're not selling out football stadiums and, and everything else worldwide. Um, I know my musical references are probably too outdated, but the point being WWE is the establishment. Everything else is just a little kind of alternative. Uh, it's no real competition. It's, it's naps in the face of a giant. Um, and in the end of the day, you know, I think that, um, Cody and the Bucks will end up in WWE. I don't see how they can financially uh, refuse it. If WWE is throwing around the kind of money that they paid uh, for the crown jewel event, they'd be foolish not to. Um, and WWE also has the benefit of this, this network uh, of, of media appearances where their stars can go out. You know, they can be on the tonight show. They can be on uh, the ESPN Sunday morning or, or whatever outlets out there. And you have guys like John Cena and Roman Reigns and Triple H and others who come out there and Ronda Rousey who just look like bigger than life stars. And you bring out the young bucks who look like, I think that's my paper boy. Uh, you know, it's just, it's not the same thing. Um, and, and that counts for a lot when it comes to mainstream audiences. Uh, you know, the hardcore fans are already on board. They love them and, and good for that. But whether it can ever be competition for WWE, uh, not in a million years. I don't know, man. I don't go to Hot Topic and be like, wow, those Paperboy shirts, <laughs> right? You know, I, there's a certain... No, but that's great. I, you know, I, I love the, the Young Bucks say that. The Young Bucks say, well, you know something? It doesn't matter. We've sold a lot of shirts. Well, congratulations. Pro wrestling isn't T-shirt sales. Um, you're selling merchandise. That's great. You know, you, you can be the next Tommy Hilfiger. That doesn't mean you're going to be the next Steve Austin. Um, it, it, nobody should ever confuse merchandise sales with, with wrestling ability. It's great for them. They'll make great money. Uh, but just because you're selling a lot of merch doesn't mean that you are a viable wrestler or a viable draw in wrestling. Well, it does seem like right now WWE is uh, shuffling the deck a bit. Obviously, the very uh, sad news uh, two weeks ago, Roman vacating the universal title to go battle uh, leukemia right now. Uh, it, it would seem that the, the Bucks and Cody's value would go up even more knowing that there's that top slot right now to fill in WWE. I mean, do you think they're doing enough? to try to fill that spot right now. Personally, I don't. I don't I I would I have I'm shocked they had Braun Strowman lose to Brock Lesnar. I thought that was a layup there to get some some energy going on. At least one of the guys. I think it's really timing. Uh certainly I thought that that would make more sense to have Braun Strowman win there. Uh but there's been reports about Braun's knees, his overall health, um and maybe they're just wanting to save that big pop, that big moment for another show, uh, WrestleMania. I, I don't know when something to pop TV, maybe whenever they roll something out on the Fox network, they're, they're trying to load up for that. I mean, I don't know how far in advance they're, they're really kind of booking at this point. Um, but I'm sure they've got some kind of plan, um, at least for WrestleMania. Um, but yeah, I think there is a vacuum at the top right now. Uh, Seth Rollins could be the top guy. Dean Ambrose, maybe 
Uh, Braun Strowman seems like he could be, but he's still quite limited, especially carrying the main event load and, and going 12, 14, 16 minutes without, you know, considerable smoke and mirrors outside the ring weapon stuff. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely room, but I don't think Cody's the guy, and I definitely don't think the Bucks are. They, they could draw. I, I think that if the Bucks came into WWE, I think they'd be really hot, just like uh, Gallo's um, uh, – like the Bullet Club, when when Gallison Anderson came in and they were on fire for about a four or five month period of time, and then just settled back into a mid card, and I think that that's kind of what would happen with the Bucks. And I think they know that too, and that would make it. I would be very hesitant to sign that dotted line, knowing that while my value is on the rise right now, I could be put in a position for my value to to kind of decrease, which is I think what happened with Gallows and Anderson here, who were who were much hotter when they came in than at this current moment. Um, but yeah. The value did decrease, but the paychecks increased. So that's the, that's the trade-off. It's true. Did your did their value decrease then? Oh, really? Um, uh, <laughs> MMAfighting.com uh, had a report out this week about Brock Lesnar while we're talking about Brock, uh, saying he is scheduled to be at WrestleMania. There is a new deal for multiple dates, but they don't know how long it is. Uh, he can fight in UFC if he wants. There's ba- There's basically no rules here, I feel like, for Brock Lesnar. I get the vibe that fans are still are starting to reject this man in a sincere way. Are you also feeling that the fans have started to genuinely sour on Brock, or do you think that he's still worth the giant investment that all these promotions are making in him? I think he's still worth the investment. I think that the fans are souring a bit, but WWE wanted them to. Uh, they, they went out of their way to try to bury Brock Lesnar so that Roman Reigns would get the, the rub when he finally went over and finally took the belt from him. It didn't really happen. None of it really worked out the way it was planned. But Brock is still, the fact that he's still willing to wrestle, I I know that he doesn't work every night. I know that he gets paid an exorbitant amount, and the company bends over backwards for him. Um, But the guy still goes out there, delivers in the ring. I mean, he he stiffs the hell out of people. He takes a beating. Uh, When he sells, he sells huge. He took that spear outside the cage uh, at the uh, the one uh, Saudi Arabia show, the Greatest Royal Rumble. Um, when he goes out there, man, it, he more than anyone else on the roster, uh, when they're in the ring, it's a, it's got that big-time fight feel. You know, it's a Brock Lesnar match. This is something special. I'll, I'll watch the pay-per-view because there's a Brock Lesnar match. And I don't think anybody else has that. I don't think anyone else has that kind of charisma. And WWE's done such a good job of investing and building in Brock Lesnar that when he finally does really lose and, and make it stick and, and make it on a WrestleMania stage or something like that, a one-on-one match, a clean uh, loss uh, at that level, it can really make somebody. And I think that they are still hoping to be able to kind of mine that investment and make that happen. And besides, I mean, the fact that he's still willing to do this, even if, you know, his his value will probably diminish a little bit if when he goes back to UFC, uh, if he gets pummeled, if he loses and and he gets kind of discredited, um, then some of the aura runs off and, and WWE has lost a little bit on the investment. But the fact that he's still willing to go, I mean, I, I think WWE is, is making the right choice by trying to use him and, and wrangle as much out of him as they can. Uh, another guy, uh, sorry, I had my buttons toggled there. Uh, another guy that WWE, you know, when we talk about filling these voids right now, uh, reshuffling the deck, I was kind of surprised. Uh, the Observer had a report out uh, a couple days ago about WWE's plans for Apollo Crews. Now, Apollo Crews did beat Jinder Mahal pretty handedly on Monday night. I guess this report says here they're they're looking at him maybe as kind of a highlight reel type figure, you know, uh, trying to feature his athleticism a bit more. 
Do you think there's a chance they could really get behind Apollo Crews and make something happen with this guy? Yeah, I think there is. I mean, I thought when he came in, he was a, a shining star. He was one of those guys to watch. Um, he had a real bad debut match. It might have been against Jericho where he botched something. It might have been a kip-up. It was just awkward and kind of looked a little bit bad. And, and then WWE kind of pushed him aside. They put him with Titus O'Neil, and, and all of a sudden he just went from being this special kind of rising prospect to just being, you know, down on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's tough once somebody kind of loses that edge to, to recapture it. Uh, but that's what repackaging is all about. Uh, so if they find a way to kind of get this guy a, a new gimmick overhaul, a new makeover, uh, I mean, I think the name, you know, Apollo Cruz is just so stupid. Uh, you know, <laughs> Apollo Creed and Terry Cruz. Okay, I got it. He's, he's a muscular black guy. So let's take two muscular black guys that we know and combine their names and roll them out there. Um, there's a lot more that they can do with that guy. And uh, I think if they repackage him the right way, and maybe give him a Paul Heyman or another mouthpiece to kind of help him with the interviews. I think that the, uh, I don't want to say the sky's the limit for him, but I think he's got a really high ceiling. So I'd like to see that happen. Uh, another one, you know, Drew Galloway is another one that everyone talks about being potentially the guy. Uh, I think that uh, I'm still a little bit hesitant to see that happen. Um, I mean, if he impresses me, that's great. He hasn't really, I haven't seen the charisma out of him that other people have. Hmm. Uh, but he's another name that's out there that shows the, the roster depth that now that there is kind of a vacuum on top, WWE does have a handful of guys that they might be able to fit in there. It's just a matter of who's really kind of ready to take the ball and, and run with it. Drew McIntyre, I, I like Drew a lot. He's such an evenly proportioned large man, right? It's there's, it's not easy to find somebody that looks like a giant walking action figure, and he definitely has that uh, allure to him. I think he's a great wrestler, too. I have seen the spark. I, I'm willing to give him a chance. Uh, Apollo Crews, you know, it is just been so flat the last year and a half. I don't know how the fans are going to take to him. I think even if you you did the best of a job with Apollo right now, I don't know. I don't know that the fans are going to be there for him. We'll find out. Um, one guy who's not going to be there in the mix, Triple H, underwent uh, pec surgery this past week. Uh, it sounds like he this type of injury usually takes around six months. Doesn't look likely he'll participate in WrestleMania, uh, which kind of throws out the window. Looked like they were teasing him and Batista at SmackDown 1000. Uh, did you also kind of get the vibe that's the direction they were going to maybe try to head with Triple H? Yeah, I think they wanted to float it out there and, and really kind of gauge the fan reaction to it. Um, you know, if they can come to terms with Batista, he's kind of made it known that he's interested in doing another match and if they can make it work around his film schedule. But again, six months, um, that's the typical recovery time. We've seen Triple H return from other injuries ahead of schedule. A guy who works out the way he does and with his musculature and everything else, it's entirely possible that he could be back in time for WrestleMania, uh, especially if he works kind of a Triple H style of match, uh, which is typically, um, you know, some things in the ring, some weapons, some outside the ring, uh, slower pace, more methodical, a lot of false finishes, but not a lot of uh, huge bumps, not a lot of really potentially dangerous things. I think he could, I mean, Last WrestleMania, he was in the um, the mixed tag match with Ronda Rousey and Kurt Angle and, and Stephanie McMahon. He was in there with someone in their very first match, a non-wrestler, and uh, Angle, whose body is basically broken down. And they still delivered arguably the best match of the show. So I think that Triple H can go out there and protect himself and still do a good match, provided he can be medically cleared in time. So I wouldn't completely rule that out, uh, because I think those guys even going half speed could uh, make some WrestleMania magic. Man, that Crown Jewel tag match, that was a 
just that was a destruction derby. I felt like those guys got butchered. Even Sean, you know, got face busted open there, broke his nose. It looked like. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was. I don't know what they were trying to do there. I don't know if they were just trying to leave it all in the ring because of of the. I mean, they were the ones that the the crown prince and his people wanted to see. So I, I guess they had an obligation to really kind of deliver especially because the rest of the card had, had really kind of been so flat, you know, with Shane winning the tournament and, and the, the short uh, universal title match and everything else. Um, so I think that the obligation was on them to really kind of send the fans home happy. Um, and uh, they did so at, at risk <laughs> to their own bodies. But, uh, you know, they, they got the job done. All right. Last thing I'll bring up here in the news segment. Uh, my other female story here uh, is for about Zelina Vega. Last night was SmackDown Live. She was not on the show alongside Andrade Almas Cien, or Andrade Cien Almas. Uh, and PW Insider is reporting that uh, she is uh, suffering from a concussion right now or recovering from a concussion that may have been sustained at the uh, Evolution Battle Royal. With that said, we got to see Andrade last night one-on-one with Ray. No manager shenanigans. He didn't come up out on top. Do you think these two are better paired together, or would you rather see Zelina and Andrade competing as solo stars because i know she's more than capable of going out there and having good matches yeah she is i, I believe she was as serena she did hold the uh knockouts tag team title didn't she went to the um uh sarah stock i believe i am yeah gonna... uh, i know they team that mm-hmm. i think that they held that, that tag title mm-hmm. um so yeah she, she can definitely go um but i like them better as a duo i think that they both add something that uh it's the the whole or the sum is more than the, um, the the total of the parts. I think both of them augment each other and bring something else out of the other's character. So I'd like to keep them together for as long as possible, but I think that Almas can definitely stand on his own. I think she can as well, although it is a cluttered women's division and, and she's kind of small and, and, you know, she doesn't, hasn't really had the opportunity to develop her, her gimmick as a wrestler on the main stage yet. Um, but no, I would I would try to keep them together as much as possible, unless you know injury or something like that does keep one on the shelf. But uh, if it seems to be working right now, I wouldn't mess with it. All right, that's it, Dan. I want to thank you so much for joining me today, talking about uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, uh, talking to me about all the news of the day. Where do you want to send people to find you, follow you online? Do you want them to find you and follow you online? Yeah, just come to my house. I'm right here. You can just come follow me at my house. I'm. No, I, uh, you, first of all, you go to uh, pwi-online.com. Uh, that's the website for Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It's where you can subscribe for the print edition, which I highly recommend. But we also do have the digital edition available for digital download. Uh, you can view it on your phone, your tablet, your laptop, and that has some additional features where you can click on different things and see some uh, YouTube links and other links that are embedded into the issue as a little bonus feature. Um, so definitely pwi-online.com. Uh, and I'm available pretty much on Facebook. That's that's the main thing. Um, basically, if you look for Dan Murphy and anyone that pops up with a bunch of wrestlers following him is is probably me. So uh, I know there's a lot of Dan Murphys out there, but uh, I'm I'm the one you ought to be following. Welcome to the show, the Horror King, one of the three men in the ROH World Six Man Champions. It is Vinny Marseglia. Vinny, welcome to the Winkley. Hey, thank you for having me, man. Now, uh, I'm a big, first of all, I've always been a big fan of yours. You've evolved so much, though, especially in this past year to this Horror King role. We're going to get to the title win here in just a second. But, uh, you know, talk to me about how it's been getting to really find your voice as the Horror King here uh, in the kingdom. 
Uh, it's been great, man. Um, you know, what, what you see, uh, as far as the horror King is, is, uh, very much Vinnie Marcellia just, uh, amplified. Uh, I've been, you know, I've been into horror since I was a, a little kid. Um, I actually just did, a ring of, uh, ring of honor interview with 10 questions with the horror King. And, um, I kind of touched base on some of that with, how my mother was a big uh, horror fan growing up as well too. So at a very young age, I got into horror movies. I was probably like five, six years old. Um, you know, with my mother, she's she's the uh, she's the one that uh, held responsible for it. So it's always been kind of like I mean, all the way down to uh, collecting like uh, movie movies, props, and and just you know, it's between me, my wife, my mother. We're, we're you know, we're like we're like the Adams family, if you will, <laughs> I guess. Um, so what you see uh, is, is very much just me. So I've just uh, I've become very comfortable, um, you know, and I and I love being able to be uh, creative and show that creativity that I have uh, with with bringing that that genre into wrestling. And I think people. Uh, you know, there's a lot of horror fans out there that that can kind of enjoy themselves with with having that element uh, brought into pro wrestling, and just uh, you know, and, and again, it's just just me being myself. So you know, I hope I hope people uh, are are entertained by it. It's really scary if that's just you being yourself. You just walk around with that axe. Like, how do your kids take that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. That's it. That's it. Yeah, and I and I'm most comfortable under the ring, I guess, too, right? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, well, this was a, a Ring of Honor Survival of the Fittest this past Sunday night. Great show. Go out of your way to find it. But man, you guys had a heck of a battle there with the Elite. Uh, you managed to come uh, out. On, you managed to come out on top. You guys are the first ever three-time ROH World Six Man Champions. Uh, how does how does that ring in your ears? How does it feel to to have that title? It's amazing, man. Um, you know, three time first ever three time uh, you know World Six Man Tag Team Champs. Uh, the kingdom and it's just uh it's amazing because you know i i always kind of like you know with being so busy all the time you don't really get the opportunity but like after you know we kind of have a day off in between this tour which we do today and uh you know after it all happened and you get a kind of a moment to kind of just relax and kind of think about it and it's just like wow like you know back in you know 2011 2012 you know when i was dying to become part of ring of honor and uh here i am you know kind of putting history in the books is a first ever three-time ring of art, you know, tag champ. It's just, it's, it's amazing, man. And, and, you know, and the, the show, the entire show was, was awesome. So if you get the opportunity to check that out, please do. Yeah. And then the, uh, the match itself was just, you know, it's bonkers. We always have great matches against, you know, the elite, the bullet club, um, you know, whatever version of those guys there is, uh, the matches has always been, you know, kind of wild, you know, they're, they're definitely, uh, you know, my, my favorites, uh, to, to, to be in the ring with, you know, the young bucks and, and Cody, you know, those, those guys are amazing. So, um, you know, so it could, it could have been a, a better night, you know? Well, it was, it was a great bout. You do always have uh good outings with those guys. Uh, but they weren't the only ones from the elite that kind of got in there. Uh, Brandy, Cody's wife, uh, did a little bait, and sw- <laughs> did a little bait and switch, uh, there were two referees. <laughs> there were two referees already for this match. Uh, they get knocked out. Brandy comes out as the third ref, gives you all the finger as she fakes the pin. I wanted. How do you think? Like that's some quick thinking on her part, right? Those refs get knocked out. 
how's she getting that all together? You know, I have no idea. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we requested those two referees, um, and then chaos kind of broke out and you saw what happened there. Uh, so then Brandy, uh, you know, took it upon herself, uh, you know, to come out there and, and trying to, trying to sneak one in on us and, uh, <laughs> give, give the elite the pinfall there. But, you know, um, uh, you know, look what happened in the end of that, you know? So, you know, as long as, as long as we, uh, walked out you know with the, with the title that's all i really care about so nearly didn't go that way she got the ring bell rung like the bell was announced as finished you know i'm sure there was a little heart palpitation there right but you know brandy's not a uh she's not a uh, wrestling official so yeah. at the end of the day it doesn't matter anybody could have came out there so well and that's and that's good right roh did the right, right thing in this situation they made sure that that bell about didn't time. Yeah. About time. Yeah. About time. Yeah. About time. I can't even say that enough times, but yeah, about time. Um, you know, the, the, the titles are, are back with the rightful owners. Um, now, on that note, you know, ROH did the right thing by you guys. You have the titles back. Do you consider this to be the end of the conspiracy against the kingdom and Ring of Honor? Yes. that The conspiracy... Uh, you know, after we won the uh, the Ring of Honor six-man tag titles at Survival of the Fittest, um, we made it clear today after the match that the conspiracy is dead. Yeah. So that 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 is the absolute end. Okay. Well, that's good. At and, least at least I hope so. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Tave, Well, you know, of course, Taven, the real ROH World Champion. I'm sure there's, you know, I don't know. There's there's still mountains left to climb here for you guys. Uh, what what mountains do you see is is worth climbing still for the uh, the kingdom? Um, I mean, as a, as a unit, uh, you know, it, it would be cool to do, you know, many different things. You know, um, it'd be cool to see the three of us uh, bring the uh, six man tag titles all over the world. You know, uh, if we can, uh, you know, there's there's plenty of things. I mean, it's, you know, me and TK becoming uh, Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions would be cool. Um, while Matt. Um, stays the Ring of Honor World Champion. Um, I've also, uh, it's always been a goal of mine to become uh, the Ring of Honor World Television Champion and call it Ring of Horror TV because I think that would be pretty cool and it sounds great to me. Um, so, you know, there's plenty of things that, that the kingdom uh, still would like to accomplish and we have many goals. Kind of kind of reminds me uh, the, a la the Hart Foundation in the late 90s where they, they kind of had all the belts. I don't know if you remember that. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's a cool thought. Um, now, but that puts you guys decidedly, I feel like, in the driver's seat. You're talking about Ring of Honor <laughs> goals that you have, titles you want to win, ways you want to represent the company. In a lot of ways, it was a very interesting matchup, I thought, between you and the Elite because obviously these guys – are outspokenly kind of teasing they may be leaving the promotion. Did it mean more to you to get the win over them for that reason? Um, I mean, at the end of the day, um, it, it's just, it's, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know what anybody's, you know, doing, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, it meant, we were just focused on winning the titles. We could, we didn't really, we didn't have, we weren't going in there with any other mindset um, then, you know, winning back the six-man tag titles, making sure it was called straight down the line, and become the first ever three-time uh, Ring of Honor World uh, six-man tag team champion. So, like, you know what I mean? Our, our focus is pretty heavy um, just on that. Um, but like I said, like, it, it's, it's whenever we go to war, 
um, it's it's always, in my opinion, my it's always best to have uh, the elites in across the ring um, because you you know it's gonna it's gonna be a war and it's gonna be a great match and and the Ring of Honor crowd is is in for uh, you know something wild so um, <laughs> you know but that was that was our focus is just getting our titles back and and making sure that we had those two officials um, that were requested um, so you know you know at the end of the day that was that was pretty much all we were worried about okay. just wondering because I really I do see you guys is in sort of a franchise role I was talking to Flip Gordon last week I see him as somebody else that you know Ring of Honor is obviously taking a, a long-term investment in I mean how do, how do you feel right. being looked at in that regard now I guess as an ROH franchise player it's 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 great it's great man like I I and I will you know, if if that's the if that's the role, uh, quote unquote, that we're put in, um, then I I think uh, we have the three of us have no problem living up to that, um, and that's and that goes for in any type of situation. If if you want to put us three together, um, if you want to do myself and TK as a tag, if you want to tag myself and Taven, if you want to put us in singles by ourselves we can handle any situation that you put in front of us in regards to any of any one of those. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, if, if that's, that's the case, um, you know, I'm, it's, I'm honored, you know, and I'm, and I'm looking forward to uh, keeping that ball rolling. Yeah. Uh, I always have a, a blast watching you guys. Uh, my, one of my fondest, Thank ru- you. one of my fondest wrestling memories is still, Supercard of Honor this past year, you guys doing the protest outside for like 10 and a half hours or however, however the hell long you guys stood in that hot parking lot. Um, it just you, There's a real fun atmosphere, I feel like, around Ring of Honor right now. You guys are trying so many uh, different things. And uh, that brings us here to what we've got coming up this weekend, uh, Global Wars. Not just this weekend. It's like a week long. It's like a marathon. Uh, Ring, of Honor yes, New, New, Ring of Honor New Japan. Uh, the the relationship. What's your take on the current relationship between Ring of Honor and New Japan? I, a lot of people are like, why don't these two brands just? Why don't you guys just become one company? You guys obviously were ROH and New Japan work so well together, you know? Right. Uh, I I think it's great, man. And you know, to you know, it, it gives you know people an opportunity to see a lot of those guys that they like to watch on TV uh, over in Japan and they come over for the Global Wars. You know, and then like when some guys go over to New Japan, it gives those fans an opportunity to see something that they might, you know, enjoy watching on Ring of Honor. Um, so I think it, I think it's cool, and I think it's you know it's different, and you get to see like you you know your favorites from Ring of Honor and your favorites from New Japan kind of you know battle it out in uh, in, in the ring. So it's, it's, I think it's wild and it's cool. It's cool. I uh, I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of how they do. You know the you know New Japan guys come here. You know, and Ring of Honor guys go there, and it's it's cool. I think it's 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 awesome. How much time have you got to spend competing in Japan yourself? I have not been to Japan yet. That's a goal. That that's a, that's a goal for the kingdom um, as a trio. Actually, yeah, it's a goal for um, you know. And I would I would love it if we could actually bring the Ring of Honor six man tag titles to Japan. Um, that would be awesome. So that that is a. Uh, that's a personal goal of mine, and I, and I know it is as far as the others to concern. I know Matt's already been, but um, as far as us as a trio, um, it, it definitely is a goal for the king to go over to New Japan. Yeah. And and with the you know with the Ring of Honor six man tag titles, 
um, if we could, would be, you know, even better, of course. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing is I was doing a little research here before we jumped on the interview, and I was I was kind of surprised to, to not be able to find any references to you competing in Japan. I've got to imagine for you, you are salivating at the opportunity for the kingdom and LIJ to proper get down over in Japan, right? Uh, yeah, man, that would be awesome. I mean, you know, it, it would be cool. I mean, we had uh, that one match with them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for the six-man tag titles. Mm-hmm. I believe it was for the six-man tag titles. Yeah. At the uh, best in the world uh, pay-per-view not too long ago. And then that match, that, that match was cool. And, uh, you know, it just, I, I wish, uh, like you said, I kind of wish it was like a, you know, wasn't the end of it. You know, at the time, I wish it was, a, you know, like I would love to do like a series of battles with the kingdom and LIJ. That would be uh That'd be awesome. So, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I would love to do that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I remember that best you know, that best in the world match. Though I don't think Naito was in that bout. I think it was Evil Sonata and Bushi, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's exactly. Yep. And uh, me and me and uh, I know me and Taven. Um, God, it must have been the first year in 2016. Might have been, okay. but. Uh, Naito and uh, Bushi against myself and Taven. This is during when when TK unfortunately was out hurt. Um, we had a match there too. So yeah, it would be cool to just do like you know, uh, you know, kind of a you know series of matches with LIJ. That would that'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I just you know, obviously there's so much. You just look at evil come to the ring. It's like, man, how do I not want show to see... evil who the real evil is, right? Yeah, <laughs> man, I. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to just be able to talk to you about just the concept of that because I really felt dumb. I was sitting there and I was like, "Well, Lij and the Kingdom—they've shared so much space. I'm sure they've had to have touched gloves a, a number of times. It's not—it's not, not true. Like you said, it's like maybe twice. I feel like there's a lot you could get out of a, a Kingdom Lij feud. Oh, I think I think a Kingdom uh, Lij would be you know something amazing for for wrestling fans all over the world. Yeah, do you feel like the the kingdom do you feel like the kingdom needs a rival? You know, they say every great, you know, uh it takes two to tango, right? You can never a great good guy with a great bad guy. I guess we got two great bad guys here. But, you know, do you do you feel like that the kingdom needs uh, uh or do you feel like they already have kind of a, another that they're in that blood feud with? Um I think, you know, I, I don't know if we necessarily need, you know, um, but, you know, we would love to have, you know, uh, you know, we love competition. So any any good competition out there in the trios, um, you know, we would love to get in the ring with them, you know, just to continue to prove that, you know, we're the best um, trio uh, in the world right now. Um, you know, in our six-man tag titles, I think, say that. Um, but you know, like LIJ's one, um, you know, Elite and Bullet Club has always been one um, <clears throat> for us. You know, that's why I say that. You know, those guys have always been kind of my my favorite to to go to war with out in the ring. You know, um, but I, I like you know you brought you brought it up. So like yeah, the, the LIJ thing is something I've always you know been kind of wanting to do. Um, so hopefully we can make that happen. You know. Well, there's a reason I'm talking about it here, because I know you and I see all the awesome stuff you do and how much you just pour, you know, you say your personality into it. But there's this great, I mean, it's just little vignette you did on Twitter where the, the making of the mask for Halloween. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah I actually made that mask um, for Global Wars um, for this Global Wars tour that's coming up. So 
That's uh, yeah, that, and that and that's exactly see see that's that I say like that's a lot of me. Uh, well, that video that you saw of me making that mask, like I I actually made that mask. That's all. You know, people ask me like they watch it and they say like, oh, did you did you really make that or were you just kind of like you know going through the motions and acted it out and just kind of made it like you did make it and like no that that mask I actually physically made with my bare hands with sewing needles, thread, uh, scissors, drills, whatever I had, um, you know, and a knife. That's, I really sat there and made all that. <laughs> that footage is actually, uh, is me, uh, going to work on, you know, showing the people, uh, more of the horror King. So, um, but yeah, I made that for the, uh, global wars tour actually. Wow. Wow. But I'm glad you checked it out. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Well, you know, I like to do my research. I also just enjoy your stuff. You know, you got a spooky lifestyle. Thank that's, you, man. That's cool. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, it's kind of Jericho-esque, I feel like, in a way, where he's so hands-on and creative with his character. I see kind of elements of that. Um, now, you guys, this weekend, though, Global Wars, um, right out of the gate, uh, we're recording this late on Tuesday, uh, but tomorrow, Wednesday, you guys are taking on Dalton and the boys. Really been an interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's been an interesting year for Dalton Castle, right? He was all the way up, got injured, just now getting back in. Are you going to try to put this guy back on the shelf? How are you treating Dalton and the boys? Uh, well, I I know I know that's uh, I know that's Matt Haven's goal for sure because I think um, you know Dalton Castle coming back is just another obstacle for Matt. Uh, you know, and somebody else he has to deal with uh, that's going after his world. You know, his Ring of Honor world title. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's going to be the, the, the goal as far as Taven's concerned uh, and, uh, you know, anything that Taven's on board with, we're obviously on board with them. So, uh, <clears throat> so the boys, the boys better watch themselves, you know, the boys, you know, I've gotten to, we've gotten the boys sometimes and I've, uh, I've, I've, the, the boys have seen underneath the ring, you know, and they, uh, they're terrified. So. Do you, so uh, this weekend, uh, Lewiston, Maine. That's where it's happening tomorrow. Lewiston, Maine. The Kingdom versus Dalton Castle and the Boys. Make sure you check it out. Last yeah. one there gets the axe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lewiston, uh, Maine tomorrow. <laughs> Lowell, Massachusetts on Thursday. Buffalo on Friday. And then there's a Sunday show, but you're, I don't think you're on it. Are you? Are you not competing on Sunday? Sunday. Which one? Is That's Sunday? Toronto. Toronto, Ontario. Toronto, Ontario. Toronto. I will be in Toronto. Uh, they just uh, haven't announced anything yet as far as the match is concerned, but I will be in Toronto. Okay. Um, uh, yes, tomorrow's Lewiston, Maine. Uh, it's the first time for Ring of Iron Lewiston, Maine, uh, so you should definitely check it out. That will be the night that the Kingdom uh, takes out Dalton Castle and the boys. Well, if you well, you better not take them out because you're going to wrestle the boys again on Friday. Uh, from what I from what I gather here. Well, if we take them out, then we don't have to. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so, so that you know, what I mean, that there's our goal right there. If we take them out early, we don't have to deal with them on Friday. Mm, I like that. Yeah, maybe you could just do a public viewing of your favorite horror film, or like a ten minute clip of it. There you go. You know? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Good. By the way, that's something I wanted to ask you. What What's the horror movie I haven't seen that you think I haven't seen that I should be seeing right now? What's that for everybody? Oh, man. That's new? Or anything in general? Um, have you seen the movie Hereditary yet? I have, yes. I liked it a lot. You have. Did you like it? Okay, you did like it. Did, did you, you like see it? Halloween? Did you like it? I, I, I loved Hereditary. I really did. I liked it. There was a, you know, people have their opinions on it, but 
I overall enjoyed it. I thought it was a good film. You should. Uh, yeah. It was pretty, it was creepy, you know. Yeah. I think uh, I think it lived up to exactly what it was supposed to be, you know. Um, you know, slasher movies and stuff. You know, they don't they don't really you know they don't scare many people, you know. But like those those kind of um, you know those cult movies and uh, those paranormal movies, if done right, can be uh, you know can be pretty pretty scary to people. Um, and I thought I thought Hereditary was done very well. Loved it. Um, yeah. Have you seen the new Halloween? No, I got to go see the new Halloween. I had one girl. Okay. I had a I had a girl badmouth Halloween to me in a Halloween costume store, and it really put a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> Yeah, that could change your mind, I guess, eh? Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, I liked it. Um, I'm, I'm curious as, uh, what you think after you do see it. Okay. Uh, please let me know what you think. Okay. Um, but uh, overall, I thought it was, it was well done. There was a few things that they could have left alone, but overall, I thought it was, it was good. Do you ever? You have to let me know what you think. Do you ever get inspired by, you know, Matt Hardy's been so good with kind of that gritty film style. OVE is doing a bit of that now. Do you ever get inspired to maybe want to take your love of horror and and bring it to life with more vignettes and things in Ring of Honor? Um, yeah, um, you know, I, I always enjoy doing that kind of stuff and being uh, like creative with that. Um, and you know, Matt Hardy has always done a fantastic job, as you spoke of. Um, and I, you know, you, I don't know if you saw. I did like a, you know, I did a Ring of Horror vignette not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the things that you see. Uh, as far as the vignettes that I do are just done on my own. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, it's definitely something It's definitely something that you're going to see more of uh, coming up and going into the new year. Um, so, you know, any opportunity that I get or any idea I have, I usually try to, you know, put it out there before I lose it. Or, you know, sometimes <clears throat> sometimes some of my, my visions, uh, you know, I kind of like hold off on them because I just have a – just because I have one certain vision doesn't mean that that's the one to go with. I kind of give it some time and see how that vision develops into something, you know, more or better. And before I kind of, you know, <clears throat> put it out there, but, uh, yeah, definitely see some more of that for sure. Absolutely. Okay. And I'm glad you take interest in that. It's cool. Oh, well, I mean, it, it's such an amazing time for wrestling. Now you're not necessarily limited to a ring, you know, there's so many great characters right. and physicality. You can take right. that anywhere. Yeah, you could be as creative as you want, and I think that uh, I think that's very, very cool, and I think it's very, very special for a lot of people. Yeah, well, uh, these Global War shows here, these are a chance, uh, as it says on ROHWrestling.com, this is a chance for you guys to earn a spot on the Madison Square Garden card. Obviously, this is going to be a big co-produced show, Ring of Honor, New Japan Pro Wrestling, best of the best. What I mean, what's your dream match? Do you have one in mind here for MSG? Oh, a dream match for MSG. Oof, that's a good question. That really is. <laughs> I, 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 I really, um, I really don't have like a dream match. I, you know what? It would just be amazing and awesome, and uh, to just perform in Madison Square Garden. Um, I, can, I can't really like. That's a good. That's a very good question. <laughs> um, so I can't really come at you with an answer right now. Um, but man, just to be on. Uh, that show and be a part of that and, and wrestle in Madison Square Garden, a sold-out Madison Square Garden uh, with Ring of Honor Wrestling is just it, that's amazing enough. You know what I mean? That's uh, that's just a, a goal that most wrestlers um, 
or ha- probably would have in their pocket. Yeah. Um, so that's just, you know, it's, it's something really, really special. I got to ask, I mean, obviously it brought up some warm, bubbly feelings, just the idea of wrestling in Madison Square Garden. Is there like a memory? Like when I say that, is there like something that comes to your mind? Are you visualizing a particular MSG moment? Uh, yeah, man. Um, growing up, uh, me and my brother are always big wrestling fans, and we're, uh, I, I still remember, I believe it was, God, was it Royal Rumble 2000, the Hardys and the Dudleys? in that first ever tables match yeah. uh, that, that took place in Madison square garden. Um, it was one of my favorite uh, matches that they had during that, you know, that, that tag series of matches they were having. So uh, that match sticks out to me um, <clears throat> a lot when I, you know, think of Madison square garden, uh, you know, uh, of course, all, you know, the, the Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels matches, but like growing up with my brother, um, watching wrestling, that was one of the ones that kind of always like, you know, afterwards kind of stuck with me. Um, so it's definitely like, you know, that'd be, that'd be the one that I always think of when I think of Madison Square Garden. Yeah. And to think the kingdom could drop somebody through a table in Madison Square Garden. Be awesome. Be awesome. We could definitely, that could most certainly happen. Oh man. Uh, all right. Last thing, last thing here. I've taken too much of your time, Vinny. You're, you're far too kind. Um, I, no, no problem, man. Uh, I, you know, ROH is just doing such a great job, stringing together great shows. Uh, I really like a lot of the talent, but what do you think right now, ROH, what do you, what do you want to see ROH doing? Is there anything you think that, that the company should, should be trying or helping to take it to, to the next level right now? Uh, I mean, to, to to be honest, man, like I, I feel like we, we just touched on the Madison Square Garden thing. Yeah. So uh, I, I feel that uh, Ring of Honor is growing and it's continued to grow. You know what I mean? So um, as of right now, I think it's just a matter of all of us working hard to, ma- to continue, continue to make that happen. Um, so, you know, I don't think, you know, there's anything specific per se that I can think of, but. I think, you know, Ring of Honor is, to me, is on an uprise, you know, with Madison Square Garden, and a lot of cool things kind of kind of coming up. So I think if, you know, we continue to do our part, I think we'll continue to, to grow and become and stay the best wrestling on the planet. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you again, Vinny. Is there any pl- anything you want to plug, promote, any place you want to send people to find more information about you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the VM. Um, you can grab my new Horror King t-shirt at ROHProShop.com. Uh, be sure to check out the Global Wars Tour at ROHWrestling.com at the live events. Um, and my, you can check me out on Instagram at the Horror King Official and Facebook at the Horror King Official. And thank you, sir, for having me. Mm. Uh, it's been awesome. I appreciate it very much. Mm. We'll do it again. And listen to this man. <laughs> <laughs> Fight Club for WrestlingInc.com. I'm Andy Balnoski with you. And our very special guest at this time, the Samoan Dynasty member in the future, Lance Oduwaihi. Lance, thanks for joining us here tonight. Oh, man, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, man, making my debut here in Excite Wrestling. So uh, I had a lot of fun losing my voice. 
the crowd is wild, and man, I can't wait to be back. Yeah, we're glad to have you here in Binghamton, New York. And uh, first off, just talk to us about your future right now. Obviously, a great lineage, great legacy with your family. I actually talked to your dad, Sam Wu, not too long ago in Tawanda, Pennsylvania. Uh, but what is it about this family that just seems to, to breed professional wrestlers? Man, we, yeah, basically, we, we breed professional wrestlers, our whole family, all the way from my grandfather and uh, Alpha, who's a WWE Hall of Famer, and my father, uh, Head Sugar Sam Moo. But yeah, just coming from a great lineage is awesome. It's like just growing up in a business. It's something, honestly, I never wanted to do growing up. I always wanted to be a baseball player, but then after time, it just grew on me. and. Just living and following my family's footsteps has just been like a dream for me. So now I just want to continue to follow my dream and feel the same footsteps that my family has. So hopefully one day I'll be able to make it to the top. Right now I love working independence. I keep fans keep me going. I love doing what I do and one day maybe you'll see me at the top. Yeah, well you're certainly off to a fantastic start in your career and I want to make sure make sure this recording. Sometimes that happens. Oh, yeah, we're good. Because <laughs> I've done that before, man. Oh, it's like, cool. oh, I missed the whole thing. You know? I wasn't sure if it was recorded anyways. I was about to ask you if it was. But <laughs> You'd think they'd have a little thing there telling yeah. us, you know? But well, usually I us. thought there's a red light on the, on the front, but I guess not anymore. Yeah, they tricked us, I'll tell you. But, uh, but moving on, though, to Lance's, um, and just a few more quick questions here is, you know, your future is so bright. You talk about your, your history and the, you know, the Umagas, the Yokozunas, so many great family members in this history for, you, for your family. The Hawaii's. Do you have any little added pressure, perhaps, that uh, you know this might be more of an uphill climb, or is it just say, hey, no, we have a lineage to live up to? Um, it's not really pressure to me. Yes, I have big shoes to fill, like Umaga, Yokozuna, The Rock, Hall of Famers. It's just, it is big shoes. I don't feel much pressure, but the pressure is there. I don't want to be the one to not make it. I don't want to be the one, but if I don't. I'm happy. I love what I do. Like I said, it's a whole different ball game. Back then, it wasn't like this. Independence, man. You can, you can almost make a living off independence, which I like. And performing, meeting new people every day in and out. And basically, you do the same thing. You don't get paid as much, but I love doing it. And I'll keep doing it until I can't do it no more. So maybe one day I'll be able to make it. But until that time comes, you can see me anywhere. You can probably see me catch me here in Pinkerton, New York again. Yeah. Looking forward to it. As you hear the, the chairs clanging and banging right here, right now. They're doing the cleanup here from uh, Excite Wrestling Fight Club. But uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, you know, sticking with the family thing, is is obviously Roman Reigns. Uh, tough, tough dudes battling leukemia. And if I were to say to you that most people believe that Roman's going to beat this, I mean, how soon do you think, if he does beat this, that he can come back? Uh, honestly, yeah, it was very hard on our family. My phone blew up the day uh, he announced it. I didn't even know until the announcement. But we all believe in him. We're all supporting him. We're all behind him. Uh, we have no idea on the time frame yet. Uh, but we hope it's sooner than later because 
I know just like his family, all the fans in the WWE Universe sure want to see him back. So, yes, he's battling cancer. Also, my father, who's battling uh, stage four liver cancer. So it's been hard on our family, but all we can do is just keep going and support each other. That's what family's all about. Right on. And the, the, the closeness, the cohesiveness of your family, uh, the strength and power of prayer, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that you guys will get through all of this. Yes, definitely, man. All we can do is trust in God. That's right. That's right. Well, Lance, last quick question is, um, you know, Roman Reigns, I think I saw on Twitter, uh, you guys, you know, had a picture together with the family, just, just great family time and things like that. Uh, what was it about, you know, seeing him reach the height that he went to and he revealed, you know, that he's been battling this disease for so long now, about 10 years, but uh, at the same token, to go from being jobless to, you know, being a WWE champion, being the figurehead of that company, um, you know, is that inspiring for you? Yeah, it is. Um, me and uh, Roman, or Joe, uh, we got very close lately with me doing a lot of extra work with WWE, and he's been like a role model to me. So it coming, hearing the news, is, I took it very hard. Um, but him, basically, I knew about the cancer 11 years ago when he was on, uh, when he was in college, and he beat it once, he could do it again. Being no job, man, it just proves anything can happen. Dreams do come true if you just work hard at it. So just never give up and just keep working. Great, Lance. Well, final question here tonight, and as they wrap up and uh, clean up this ring over here right behind us, uh, right in front of us, actually. And, um, you know, obviously your future is very bright. And, uh, you know, what's uh, what are the next immediate steps? I know you're, you're busy down in Allentown, too, with the promotion down there and, uh, you know, the Samoan Dynasty, all that stuff. But uh, wh where do you think you can be? I think I could be right at the top with everybody else, with the rest of my family. It's all about time, and so just right place, just don't stop doing it, and I'm just going to keep living the dream, man. Awesome, Lance. And, uh, sidebar thing, got to ask you a little sidebar. With your dad being Samu, he says they live the gimmick as the head shrinkers. That's why it was so believable. Uh, any crazy home stories from uh, from Samu that maybe uh, took another extra piece of chicken or something? Uh, <laughs> uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head, man, but I know if growing up, me and my sister, if we got in trouble, we were running. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, it is the gimmick, but yeah. awesome. you bring it home and we start running. <laughs> I love it. Well, Lance, we want to say thank you for taking the time. It's time for the latest installment of the Views from the Turnbuckle Audio Edition. Of course, every Friday on Wrestling Inc., our own Jesse Collins issues his latest Views from the Turnbuckle editorial. This past week, he was talking about Kota Ibushi, and uh, he also gave his review of Evolution. And right now, he's joining me on the show. Jesse, welcome back to the Winkly. Thanks, Nick. Great to be back. Uh, before we get into uh, this right here, of course, we sure. were chatting a little bit off the air here. Busy night for you last night. I know you have an out outside job uh, covering covering politics. Uh, is it weird for you that you're like watching Donald Trump, WWE Hall of Famer, have so much influence in the political game right now? I don't know. I mean, it's. It, I don't think it's any more interesting, or I don't think it's any more uh, different than like anyone else that's surprised that Donald Trump, that Donald Trump, the you know the reality TV star, the real estate guy, uh, it, it has so much influence in politics. It's really funny. I, I you know I don't. I never really think of him as like a WWE Hall of Famer, but 
it's one of those interesting things that people, you know, brought up from time to time. It's like, oh, yeah, don't forget that, you know, they put Donald Trump in their Hall of Fame, which, of course, when WWE inducted Donald Trump to their Hall of Fame, there's a very different public perception of Donald Trump at that time period. True. And uh, we are recording this year uh, late on Wednesday afternoon. Jeff Sessions was just fired. I don't know. Did you know that? Have you heard about this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And not only did I know that, but it was one of those things where, like, Someone in the newsroom said, hey, Jeff Sessions has been fired. And then we talked about it. And then, like, someone popped out of their office and said, did you guys hear that Jeff Sessions has been fired? <laughs> and then someone came back from lunch and was like, hey, guys, did you guys hear that Jeff Sessions has been fired? And I was like, oh, my God, if someone else brings it up again, yes, we know. Well, I only bring it up, uh, and this will put a button here on our, our political conversation to start this. Uh, but the, I guess the termination note that Donald Trump gave to Jeff Sessions was very similar to a WWE, we wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors type comment and that made me chuckle yeah i think that's just a kind of a corporate uh standard format that i think everyone uses for when they want to fire people but are have to be civil about it or at least appear to be civil about it well i'm brainwashed all i think now is wwe i heard it and i was like oh wow it's true i you know it's funny you say that like i I often like bring things back to like in wrestling you know (laughs) this happens like someone was talking to me the other day about the movie industry um you know, and how, like, you know, his, now movies are starting to see real returns off overseas markets. Like, we know The Rock, again, Wrestling Connection, is, like, a big star in China, and John Cena's trying to break into China, and people were talking about that. I'm like, oh, that remind. and now people are trying to talk about breaking into the Indian market. And, I remember, and I, I'm like, oh, I have a perfect example, because I know all about a, a, a entertainment company trying to break into the Indian market from last year. And started talking to people about Jinder Mahal, but probably didn't care. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and then that little boy grew up to lose to Apollo Cruz in three minutes on Raw. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's get into your article here. I was really excited. We we talk a lot about WWE here on the show, um, but you you changed it up. You talked about one of my favorite wrestlers, Kota Ibushi, um, and uh, why he has uh, not signed a full time deal with uh, really anybody. Um, but we'll get to that here in just a moment. I want to take uh, you take me back to Chikara. You talk about this in the in the article the first time you saw Abushi. Uh, tell me about that environment at Chikara. Well, it's kind of funny, Nick, and I'm sure people who watch, you know, independent wrestling or watch New Japan all have their own story about how they found out about, you know, this other product. You know, when I was in high school, I watched WWE, and I and I was actually at the time I was a big fan of Impact and or TNA as it was called at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I had knew I knew what Ring of Honor was, um, but I didn't know anything about really wrestling outside of what was on cable TV each week. And I ended up watching a um, like a, just like matches on YouTube from small indies. Like I think the first one I watched was from Pro Wrestling Syndicate, which is an indie that I believe is still in business in Long Island, New York. Mm-hmm. And kind of going on from there and I ended up falling into Jakara because Jakara had a really good YouTube show and it was the 15 minutes where they would sometimes show full matches each week and it was really easy to follow and you know it was just so different than what I'd been used to in WWE and and, and even on Impact uh, each week and then so I watched this Fatal 4-Way and I was like oh who's this random guy Kota Ibushi I was I was really there because I wanted to watch El Generico mm-hmm. and and then you know it was just this amazing sequence of moves and I was like oh my god who is this guy and and then you know that led to me you know everything's on YouTube now so that you know led to me to watching you know DDT because that's Ibushi's home promotion that's where he had a lot of singles matches which including one with Kenny Omega who at the time I had no idea who he was I thought he looked like Dolph Ziggler and 
He still does. Just, still kind of yeah, does. Yeah, he does. That, that was the time, and I was like, and I, when I was watching Ibushi, and I saw Kenny Omega, and you know, I was ignorant to a lot of things in wrestling at the time, and I was like, here is this um, Canadian guy or American guy, as far as I was concerned. Here is this guy. He's super talented. Why isn't he in WWE? Why have I never heard of him before? And little did I know he had been a WWE uh, trainee at the time. He left. He had kind of found himself in DDT, and it was this whole different scenario. But I didn't know that. And I think kind of like I wanted to write that story about how I kind of discovered wrestling outside of WWE or outside of Impact. and Because I think everyone that watches wrestling outside of things has a similar story, like how they first discovered Ring of Honor or New Japan. And, you know, maybe it was maybe you just started watching because Chris Jericho showed up and, you know, you had heard buzz about this Kenny Omega guy and you just started watching this year or, you know, you were trading tapes in Japan. But I feel like everyone has their own story about how they kind of found this because it's kind of interesting because it's not like, you know, a lot of people watch WWE because, you know, when they were kids, their their parents watched it, their dad watched it or an older sibling or a cousin or the kids at school watched it. But I feel like with when it comes to independent wrestling, it's kind of you find it on your own or you find it, you know, someone else finds it on their own and they tell you about it. And I just feel like people have kind of their own unique stories. Like, how did you get into how did you first start watching wrestling, you know, outside of what was on cable? Uh, I, I kind of got forced into it when I decided to do pro wrestling journalism. Like, I really was okay. mostly a WWE guy. Little impact. I mean, I had done the, I worked in the independents. I was a manager for many years. And so I was kind of like inside of it. But, uh, you know, I remember you know, meeting Colt Cabana here in Chicago. We worked together for a little bit and uh, did some comedy shows. And he he was, you know, obviously he's deeply embedded in Ring of Honor culture. And I felt so terrible, like, faking that I knew anything about Ring of Honor, talking to Colt Cabana when we first met. So it's been a process for me. It's been, uh, man, looking back on it, it's been, like, the past eight years, like, slowly walking into the, the deep end of the pool, you know? Yeah, and it's funny because people, I don't know, I, I have this reputation, uh, you know, in my columns and in a lot of the stuff I say is that I'm like this ultra huge, you know, Japanese wrestling fan and that I'm, you know, I love New Japan and all stuff like that. But I really have only been watching New Japan for about maybe six years at the most. And it's a company that's been around for 40 years. And for it's kind of funny the way, and I feel like it's changing a lot because we have access to all these things. It was hard to watch New Japan before New Japan World. You kind of either that, had to. That's it. You, you're totally. You're totally right. Like I feel like I would have been more into it if the internet had just existed when I was a younger man. You know. Yeah, it's you know, you you. The reason I watched Impact was because not because of anyone loved TNA, but it was because it was on cable and they advertised during WWE shows. Like, oh, there's another show on on Thursday nights. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder what that is. That is about. But now, you know, everything's so different with, with, you know, social media and YouTube, and now everyone has their streaming service. And like I said, we talked about this earlier uh, a couple podcasts ago. It's just a great time to be a wrestling fan because you have all that access. Yeah. Um, so let me uh, – let's get back to Ibushi here. Um, why has he not been pushed like other New Japan stars of that era? Um, you know, you brought up, you know, Naito, uh, uh, Tanahashi, um, Omega, obviously – why is he not getting the same kind of love and push when it's obviously deserved? Well, it's funny because you know that's what that's what makes the situation different than a lot of situations. We all have um, our favorite wrestlers, and a lot of times they're not pushed to the way that we want them to see. And there's this kind of negativity that surrounds wrestling fans, where your favorite wrestler is not being pushed in the way you want it to. 
you know, we can a lot of times it's talk about it's every company is guilty of doing it. You could say if you're a WWE fan that you really like Finn Balor and they're doing a bad job pushing him, or you know, if you're a New Japan fan, you could be a really big fan of Marty Skrull or Haruki Goto or Suzuki or Ishii, and you wonder why they're not the world champion or something like that. But Ibushi's a little bit different because there's probably other guys out there, but he's the only guy I can really think of that has basically chosen for himself that I don't want to be pushed like this because I don't want to commit to a full-time schedule. You know, WWE approached Ibushi and they wanted to make him the cruiserweight champion and they wanted to build the division around him. And he said, well, I'm not working a full-time schedule. And they're like, oh, okay, well, we won't sign you if you're not going to commit to us full-time. And so he basically was given an opportunity to be pushed and he said, no, I'm not going to do it. And in New Japan, you know, New Japan obviously sees him as a big star to a degree. They've put him in main events for for major shows, shows at the Sumo Hall, shows at Osaka. And they have done super well. I mean, him and Kenny Omega sold out Budokan for for the G1 this year. So he's clearly a big draw and clearly over with the fans. He's really popular with the women fans in New Japan as well as the male fans. And he's – but he's – Basically, by refusing to sign a contract, he's basically limited, chosen to limit himself as far as how he's going to be pushed. Because I think New Japan would be willing to push him as hard as they push Naito and Okada and Tanahashi and Omega if he were to commit full-time. But he himself personally has decided, you know what, I'm not going to commit full-time because I don't think I can handle the full-time schedule. And I think that's a really unique position in wrestling for a guy that has the talent and is being offered the opportunity. And he's like, nah, I'm good where I'm at. Do you do you applaud that? I thought it was an interesting comment you made in the in the piece about how he decided to change his schedule instead of changing his style, which a lot of guys do over time, right? They keep the schedule, but they just you know work a, a softer style. He's not uh-huh. somebody that wants to do that, so rather than toning down his style, he's just he's just working less dates. Do do you applaud that decision, or do you think it's a little foolhardy? I'm not him, and you know he's we don't. It's not like he's always out there and he's, he, you know, he's kind of a very private person to a degree. And most of what we hear about Ibushi and Ibushi's mentality comes from Kenny Omega, who's close friends with him. I, I mean, it's a money industry. So a lot of guys are going to do what can make them the most money. And for a lot of guys, that's more dates. And so they, and I, you need to be healthy to work those dates. So you tone down your style. And maybe Ibushi uh, doesn't see money as being that important to him. In the sense that he doesn't have to work 140 dates a year to be effective in, in he doesn't have to commit to that full-time schedule because obviously he'd be making more money as a full-time wrestler than he would as a, as a freelancer. But he sees what he does in the wrestling ring as special and not necessarily worth compromising in favor of money. And that's – I mean that's – how rare is that in wrestling that a guy turns down money because he's artistically motivated to do something? And that speaks to also the you know the mentality that Kenny Omega has. And you know we're talking about the elite and all their contracts coming up and those guys being eligible and the big debate being they can go to WWE and probably make more money or they can stay independent or, or stay in New Japan and be more creative – have more creative freedom. And Ibushi's kind of – a test case for a guy who's basically turned down financial opportunity to stay true and to remain being creative. What do you think? Uh, separate tangent here. What do you think those guys are going to do? What do you think? What do you think? Cody, the Bucks, the elite guys. What do you think they do? I don't know, but I think it's. I think Cody's dropped a lot of hints about not going back to WWE. He said uh, in an interview, I believe, I, I believe he was on the Jericho podcast a couple months ago, right before All In, and he said. 
I, you know, I was in WWE and now that I've experienced this kind of creative freedom, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to go back to a place where I'm not, I don't have that kind of control and I'm told, you know, what to do everything. He said, you know, you can give me a finish and you can give me a match time, but that's pretty much it. I don't want to be told, you know, what my match is going to do and, and, you know, have an agent lay out the match with me. And I think that's pretty interesting because obviously that wouldn't be the case in WWE. So if I were to bet Nick, I would think they're going to stay in New Japan and Ring of Honor. And I think they're going to continue what they're going to do. And will they be turning down money from WWE? Yeah, probably WWE could offer them a lot of money. But I also think that these guys have kind of shown time and time again that it's not really about the money. There's a lot more aspects that go into it. And for someone, you know, Ibushi and Omega have very similar mentalities in the sense that they, you know, take their wrestling really as art. And they're not willing to compromise that for whatever WWE wants them to do because they would be compromised in WWE. There's no doubt about it. The way they handle talent is very different than the way, you know, New Japan handles their talent or Ring of Honor handles their talent. So I think they would be sacrificing something by going to WWE in the, you know, as far as the artistic integrity department is concerned. The only guy I could think of in WWE that kind of fits the mold you described for Bushi is Daniel Bryan. I think that he, I think, I mean, obviously the standing up and not doing the Saudi Arabia show showed some integrity, but he also, it sounds like he got a lighter schedule, similarly not wanting to completely tone it down like Abushi, just work less, you know. Well, here's here's another question, Nick, that I think a lot of people should, should really consider when talking about whether the elite is going to go to WWE. How valuable is the elite to WWE? If WWE signs Kenny and Cody and the Young Bucks, like, is that really going to impact their business in a tremendously positive way? Is, you know, are they suddenly going to, you know, is live attendance going to shoot up? Is is television ratings going to shoot up? Are they going to get way more network subscribers for it? I think those guys have drawing power outside of WWE, but WWE, the brand is so strong in the sense that it doesn't really matter who's on the shows and that people are going to buy tickets regardless. And none of the stars really feel like difference makers from a business perspective. I don't know what kind of impact those guys are going to have on WWE business. And if it's not going to be that dramatic, is WWE going to be willing to make a sweetheart deal with these guys by giving them a lot of money and giving them all these dates off and giving them, you know, the freedom to make an all in two show or one of those things that's been, you know, kind of rumored around. So I don't know, like how big of an impact do you think the elite can really make from a financial standpoint if they were to go to WWE? I'm with you. I'm with you, Jesse. I don't think these two need each other at all. In fact, they may be stronger apart. They may not work together. Um, Well, I am with, if I was, I'm, if I was WWE, I would have had Braun beat Brock and start to build, right? You got him in-house. He's hot. People want to like this guy. Build. Just start moving, right? Now they're kicking the can down the road here, putting the belt back on Brock. That's my opinion. Where well, we- I think they want – I think putting the belt back on Brock makes me think that they think that Roman is going to be back by WrestleMania and that will finally give them their big – Roman Reigns super baby face at WrestleMania moment when that he is, beats Brock Lesnar after coming back from beating leukemia. That is wishful thinking. I don't I look battling leukemia takes like it can take up to like two years, right? I know. That's the thing about this whole Roman Reigns thing is I don't know how like people are talking about when he comes back, he's gonna be uh, finally be that super baby face and no one's gonna be able to boo this guy because it takes so much courage to come back. And I feel like I mean 
that's kind of undermining how serious this is. Like yes. he could die. That could literally happen. And that's um, yes. and I think just assuming that oh Reigns is going to be back in six months is is would be great, tremendous news. That'd be awesome. But it, it's also like you said, wishful thinking. Very wishful thinking. And that's why I say I would have put the belt on Braun and build. Yeah, you got to you, you 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 find that guy to build around that new baby face. You're going to build around because there's no guarantee that Roman's going to come back. And even if he does come back, is he going to be, you know, a guy with the same, you know, is he going to be healthy enough? Is he going to have the same mentality of, oh, I'll be the course again because, you know, maybe his priorities change. Yeah. And, you know, for me, Survivor Series, far more interesting having Braun and AJ with the who is the new money player in WWE storyline going on. Far more interesting to me than a rehash of, of Brock and AJ. So I, I yeah, I agree. And that's the thing is, I, I, I agree with you that I don't think that WWE needs the elite by any stretch. Uh, I think they have enough in house to play with and build with. They just don't for for whatever reason. Sometimes I don't get it. Um, all right, we're going to wrap this up, Jesse. This has uh, been my favorite views from the Turnbuckle Audio Edition yet. Um, if everybody wants to go check out last week's article. You can not only uh, read more about what we've been chatting about here about Kota Ibushi, uh, but Jesse also gives a more detailed review of Evolution. We chatted about that last week here on the show. But, of course, you're going to be back this Friday with a brand new Views from the Turnbuckle. Jesse, what are you chatting about this Friday? I'm going to be writing about the GOAT. I'm writing about Chris Jericho and mm. you know how, how, we, how I'm evaluating his career differently. Uh, following his New Japan run and his latest, his last few years, and, and what a great job that guy has done evolving his character over time to adapt to whatever situation he's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're friends with Jericho, you work for like 28 promotions now. It's wonderful. It's a good business model. You can do whatever you want. So, uh, Jesse, where do you uh, want to send people to find you, follow you online? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Jesse Collings. That's at Jesse Collings, J E S S E C O L L I N G S. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in this week to another episode of The Winkly. We're going to be back next week. Like I said, we're definitely going to have that full interview with Nita Strauss. And if you want even more audio entertainment, any, any more video entertainment, I'm going to include you. I'm going to tell you to go over to the Wrestling Inc. YouTube channel. We do all kinds of great video podcasts throughout the week. I'm on The Winkly or in the Wrestling Inc. podcast every Wednesday at noon Eastern alongside Justin Labar and a rotating chair of uh, different talent from Wrestling Inc., uh, also, uh, uh, if you want more, go over to the Wrestling Inc. YouTube channel. Just this past week, I interviewed Ring of Honor superstar Flip Gordon. So go over there, find that. Thank you all very much for tuning in to another episode of The Winkly. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. <laughs>